Okay, so here we are, Ducks Don't Get Cold Feet, podcast number 13. Lucky for some, unlucky for others, but I'm lucky enough to have DT here, Darren Thomas, who's the CEO of Thomas Foods International and a plenty, a mirror of other businesses along there. So, Darren, welcome. Thanks, JP. It's uh, quite an honour and I, I think that 13 really is uh, lucky. I'll go I'll go for the lucky for some. Well, you, you're like it's Dad's favourite number. It's his house is number 13, so he's a real fan of the number 13 as well. And we're here in uh, crazy times. Obviously, you were just looking yeah. at your phone. We're talking about COVID, so it's 2020 June. And you were looking at your phone just coming into here because the, the rules are changing with what trucks can come across. And with a livestock business of yourself, uh, you must be pretty interested in what's coming across the border at the moment. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a logistical challenge like we've never seen. Um, and people will look back at this. This is, is a one in a hundred, hopefully, occurrence. But in our business, whether it's logistics here and I guess very much like your business in Australia, but globally, things have been disrupted, shipping lines, all forms of transport are where it's probably been hardest hit, you know, in the US, which is some of the most efficient logistics places you can have in the world is just upside down. So, yeah, just trying to work out even our buying team, all of our buyers that go out to see all the farmers, we've just really had to pull into home base. And obviously, just in the recent 24 hours with the lockdowns, uh, it's even more complex. So, you can't say... Um, you're bored at the moment each day so it's very different literally uh, so we were talking about you know some people might not have heard of you and as I'm, I'm sure I mean anyone in that's shopped in Drake's buying our meat would have definitely tried some of your uh, definitely cattle yeah um, do you want to give uh, the listeners a bit of a brief of what what you actually do and and you did mention you're the slave slave to the business <laughs> uh, what what actually is your your role there and do you want to give us a, where it all started? Yeah, look, look, certainly um, I'm the CEO of the business and have been for a long time. And just to take a step forward is that I guess when I was about 27 years old and the business was starting to grow, Dad sort of said, well, we really need someone to sort of take up some of these more official roles and it sure as hell wasn't going to be him because he's uh, saying a recluse is too, too hard on him. But um, yeah, he's always liked to promote people within the business and the different things. So I took that role up uh, at a very young age. I, I joined the company. I guess you grew up with the business, but it was a very different business for when my father started to when I started to get involved and, and really dad started back in the, the 80s um, and even before that when he uh, – Realized, I think about the age of 15 that maybe school wasn't best for him <laughs> and he decided to pursue uh, other pathways and he sort of ran away up north to be what's commonly known as a jackaroo. And, and you know, the story is, is quite remarkable. He was still one of those lucky people that really knew he had the affinity for the land and farms and that's what he wanted to be part of. So he forged his way and then um, came into what used to be called stock and station agents, a very famous South Australian business, Coles Brothers, where he started really like the mail boy and worked his way up to be an auctioneer. And back in those days, um, the service that a livestock agent would give to, to meat buyers, if you like, was very different where they'd pick you up and they'd take two or three of these meat buyers from the companies and drive them around to the sales and it was, um, you know, quite a prestigious job, um, you know, being involved in a company like, uh, Coles Brothers. So, but there dad got to meet some of the meat buyers and there was a very dominant, um, company, Holbrook Meat, 
owned by Bob Rowan, Alan Turner. Uh, so Dad got to know uh, one of the partners, Bob, quite well. And after a few years, he said, I think Dad was in his early 20s. Why don't you come and work with me? And Dad worked in the the livestock side. They had the sort of meat trading. They were the, the South Australia's largest um, domestic meat wholesalers. And they had a side business called TNR Pastoral, which was Turner and Rowe. Uh, back then, and Dad would work as a, a livestock buyer under Bob, and they'd cover the country with checkbook in their back pocket, and pretty wild times. But um, <laughs> as it had, I think it was you talk about disruption now with COVID and stock markets. There, I think it was the uh, the eighty seven um, crash, and before that, Bob and and Alan decide to part ways, and I think uh, Adelaide Steamship might have bought Holbrook Meat, which became Holco and a public entity, yep. and it's quite interesting tie back how things come back again but Holco was formed um, and then in the 87 uh, crash it that got broken up and um, Holco owned uh, a business called was part of Metro Meat which was Australia's largest uh, meat company at that stage and basically uh, dad went along the ride for all these different things um, and in 87 dad and Bob decide well maybe we get the old TNR going again and so dad Bob and Bob's son Simon started a TNR pastor and it was really just a livestock trading arm they serviced killing meatworks all around Australia part of the success was a low overhead you know office of about 10 people yep. really the the country the whole of Australia was their paddock and they'd travel around buying livestock trading them blind punting them, you know, modern day Robin Hoods, if you like. And uh, <laughs> that's how it all started. And they vowed and declared they'd never, ever own Meatworks. Um, well, uh, look, geez, it's, look, it's changed now. <laughs> yeah, I've got a mate that was a Jackaroo, uh, Mr. Wicker, and I think Jackaroos, they're pretty tough people. Like yeah. and they seem to have a great sense of um, self um, self-noted writer, you'll actually know a lot about themselves. Have you noticed that with your dad? Did you yeah. do any jackarooing by any chance? Look, um, you know, I was fortunate. To, um, I say have the best of both worlds. So whilst born in the city in a drover's hut, um, I got to experience <laughs> most of my school holidays were out on cattle stations somewhere. Um, my sister and myself uh, up to Alice Springs for the school holidays uh, or, you know, chasing behind dad at markets, uh, going to farms in the southeast. So whilst Adelaide was home. And, and the reason for that, being a livestock buyer, there's no one part of Australia that there's just 12 months. You, you follow the seasons, the cattle, where things were flowing or the sheep. So uh, I consider myself lucky. I had sort of a you know, Monday to Friday upbringing with, um, with uh, family here and schooling here, but weekends and school holidays were, were bush, which was a great balance. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And still to this day, it's one of my passions uh, getting out, getting out the country and visiting the farms. So uh, you're not much of a horse rider. Well, recently it was. I used to be terribly <laughs> allergic to them, to be honest. And then uh, some years ago, I had to take a, a group of about a hundred people for a cattle drive up on the Birdsville track, and I suddenly thought to myself, well. If we're going to do a cattle drive, I better sort of try and um, work out how to ride. So that was quite funny. That would be over a decade ago and my daughter was just starting to ride. So off I went to Pony Club with her. There's this <laughs> 35-year-old guy with all these young 8- <laughs> and 10-year-old girls. But I did the whole lot. I had my little pink grooming kit and the whole lot. So, uh, But I, I love animals. I love horses. And, um, you know, still to this day I get to... To, to go for a bit of a ride when I can, but so, um, so did, were you close to your grand? Did you have a grandfather? Like, did he start yeah. something and then your dad came into that as well? No, no, or? dad. As I said, dad left. What dad? Um, my on my father's side, so 
had a business called Thomas Tours, which was sort of ran a lot of the buses south of Adelaide before the State Transport Authority was. So uh, grandma and grandpa, grandpa came from Broken Hill and grandma over towards Wangaratta. And then there's the mum's side of my family. She was an only child and she came from Wakery. So um, we know a lot of the, you know, Ritudos and a lot yep. of the, uh, some of my old Riverland. footy mates um, from the Riverland. So she was a Riverland. So I was, you know, I was lucky. Um, and both the grandparents' sides of the family really took an interest in in myself and my sister as kids. And, you know, they've now since passed away. But dad was really, a, as I said, he was really someone that um, knew what he wanted to do. He had a passion and, and you know, not forgetting mum. I mean, mum went through some all sorts of um, uh, things <laughs> in the early days. And, you know, these livestock buyers are pretty wild and, Traveling away for six and eight weeks, and she did an amazing job uh, raising my sister and myself. And you know his absence. At least you can fly in and fly out. Um, not yeah. back in the old days. It's well, a bit I mean, it's just kilometres. As I said, school holidays, we'd leave um, Adelaide. You'd be in Alice Springs. You'd drive to Catherine, Broome, Derby. You know, spent a lot of time in the top end, which was which for kids was great. That was our holidays. It wasn't Noosa or overseas, or you know, we would have loved to have done. I'm sure, but. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much they were working working holidays for us and yeah, we loved every minute. It's it's fair to say that Craig has a really good relationship with my old man. I think, and I'm assuming they don't know each other too well, but they 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 seem to have something very similar in common, very yep. similar ways they look at life, yep. non non flashy people. Yeah. Always under the radar. Spot on. You know, and they've built businesses that are so big. It's like I said to Dad, it's a little bit hard to be under the radar when you've built what you have. Yeah, that's it. Like I said, Chris has always been a fantastic support to me in terms of um, uh, being able to just let me be my own person but also give me plenty of guidance along the way. And I see it as well with with your father. They are. They're understated people under the radar, fiercely passionate, lead by example, and that um, element of modesty and conservatism, I think, particularly see characterised in a lot of good family businesses is, is paramount. And that goes down through our staff. And as I said, in the early days at 27 when we bought Murray Bridge and and uh, 26 and Dad said, well, now we've got a meatworks, we're going to need someone to see a bit more of the – and it wasn't so much that he wouldn't have done it because still today if he really believes in us, he'd be first up um, to speak or be alongside of you, but um, he preferred to uh, – to uh, for me to do a lot of those um, at times, you know, uh, annoying tasks, but they're important. As the business was growing a profile, it did need um, yeah, someone, someone to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and and it's pretty much similar to what I think Mile Man's doing at the moment as well. It's like he don't, I like I, don't, I like the talking part. Yeah, we've, we've been doing this our whole lives. Yep. So it's not like we need to sit there and make stories up. It's, it's, it's very easy to talk about when that's what you do. Correct. And we talked about some of the things when we built the warehouse about being open, honest, transparent, yep. and making sure that we're making customer-led decisions. Absolutely. You, you have a slogan. Um, I don't know if it's a slogan, um, but you, you talk about putting food. I'm trying to find it here. You talk about putting- Feeding fans globally. Feeding families Globally. globally. Yeah. yeah. Like that's when I read that, I read it in a book when we we're at your office one yeah. day. I was like, oh, that, that's actually really insightful, actually, really impressive to come up with something that's so global. Because all yeah. well, you might be probably, you are probably Australia's biggest um, livestock. 
players? Certainly, we're Australia's uh, largest family, family. Uh, family-owned meat yep. process. Definitely, a couple of foreigners that might be bigger than us, but yeah. that's about it. <laughs> but you've you've taken your business global. So, who, who actually came up with that? Well, that was um, look with that being <laughs> saying it was idea. all me. <laughs> what it was is a, a definitely a big team thing, and a person like Frank Picaro, who my dad plucked out of a. Um, the Jeps Cross or um, Abator at the age of 18 and said, right, you're going to be our marketing manager, export. What, what Dad and um, Frank did in the early days were incredible pioneering markets. And and I guess, um, you know, some of the dreams and things. And, you know, I also learned a lot from Frank growing up underneath him. I'd be tagging along on overseas trips. So you saw more and more and understood more and more of our customers and supply chains and and I guess dealing with those customers in the most direct fashion allowed us. So we really partnered with major importers and that then went into business relationships. And really at the end of the day, what it is, is it been about servicing our customers in the, the best way, um, giving them the highest quality product at the best price we can. And, and that was something that I, um, that I had a dream about. And slowly we've been, it's taken 15, 20 years and countless numbers of uh, flights yeah. I couldn't even begin to remember but it was really is a team effort and everyone's got on board with that vision um, and supported it in the day by Chris. So you having to fly all over the world you're not flying at the moment. It's fantastic. <laughs> so how, how does it actually feel to I'm saying reconnect maybe with your partner or your yeah. children yeah. Uh, would that be too far to say? Or? No no it's been fantastic I've really enjoyed it um and it's playing on my mind a bit when life does return to normal, uh, you know, because you do miss and sacrifice. I've missed birthdays, football, grand final. There's a lot of things. Yeah, I don't care what anyone says. To get anywhere in life, you make sacrifices, and they can be on all different levels. And a lot of mine tend to be I'm a long, long way away, missing out on friends, weddings, different things. It's not a, I'm not saying I've got a bad life, but but you do have to make sacrifices. So I really enjoyed um you know, being home with the family. And, you know, part of the reason I do so many flights is I'd get back for a footy game to leave again on the Sunday. Now, there's a bit of an extra cost to that, no doubt. <laughs> but balance that with a stable home life and actually seeing my kids, well, um, it's a pretty easy decision. And I think that way you've got a better outcome anyway. You, you work hard and drive hard. You might go overseas for a night or two. But that's, again, some of that is just... Um, and we've all seen we can go on Teams and Zoom and yeah. the modern world. That's been yeah. around forever. You yeah. never replace that face-to-face interaction. Yep. Whilst uh, meetings might, I think some of your internal meetings domestically might change. You know, I won't duck up to Sydney just for the night. I can do it in a different way. Yep. Um, that's forced us. But still, those face-to-face relationships are, are really still critical and important uh, part of it. And they talk about, you know, a, a sacrifice and yep. – as a kid, I think my relationship with my dad now is far better now than it ever was when I was a kid where yeah. dad was always working. like from, yep. And they didn't even work bloody Saturdays back then or Sundays. No. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, the relationship back then was work, 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 work. And I think you blink and it's yep. gone. Yep. And being fortunate enough to I, I've made calls to make sure that I'm trying to do probably not what my dad did in that way. Yep. But, you know, what do you do? I mean, you can't have everything. No, you can't. I don't think you could be sitting at home and having this global business and expect it just to run. Right. And, that, and that's why it's important. I mean, I've tried there. I try and coach things where I can. You try. It is a big. Um, it's not a bird on you, but it takes up a lot of your time. But 
and and society's changed and kids understand and there's technology and you can you know, I didn't see a lot of them. Zero to ten, I didn't see a lot of them. Um, you know, first day at school and another sort of sacrifice, but it's important to work on those relationships with the kids. And as they get older, they understand it. And then, um, but when you've got that time, you go for a surf and and try and spend the time. So it might have been, yeah, for going down to the pub with your mates or something. Well, that's sort of one thing that's had to be put on the shelf for the moment. But um, and then all of a sudden, as they get older, and you know, my oldest is nineteen now. They become like your best mate and then they, they're friends with your friends um so yeah it's a cycle and and but it is different to when we were growing up like like you said my dad was away sometimes up in the territory for six to eight weeks at a time and yep. and you wouldn't see them that was the sacrifice they made and we wouldn't be here today without those sacrifices my mum and dad made um for us yeah it's 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 exactly like that i'm gonna break it up barbecuing Right, I don't know what's happened, but I'm pretty proud of my beef. Yeah. I'm pretty proud of my. We, we've got a Angus pure, grass fed, yep. uh, beast, and I I think it's one of the best quality meat products in the world. Yeah, uh, and I'm people yep. say oh, I might be a bit biased. I I am a little bit biased, so you might want to talk talk me out of this. But that product is you can cut it. You nude it with the bulk. You get rid of the little bit of the I don't know what's called the elast the ah uh, the, the some of the sinew or so some yeah, of the silver yeah. skin. So yeah, get yeah. rid of get rid of that and then cut nice you know inch and a half steaks yeah. and they're small. I feel it. Yeah, I'll say to anyone that anyone is listening that that is the best product you'll get in any restaurant anywhere in the world. Yep. to the stage where dad thinks he's the best steak cook on the planet and i said to dad it's the product mate it's not the cook it's always the product but but what it, what's your interpretation on that product you know yeah. that pro- i think yeah. that is your product it is it's something again if i go back to frank Bacara myself saying that we've championed and even when i was a young livestock buyer but there is so i speak this with a, a you know a bit of knowledge about it i guess but uh and i'm and i'm not biased when i say it's the best eating product it's a different flavor now Surprisingly, it's not for everyone, but the trend we're seeing globally, I'll give you a really good example, was selling grass-fed beef to the US. It's like trying to sell sand to the Saudis, okay? <laughs> You've got this wonderful beef product, and hey, the beef eaters almost of the world. Yep. But a lot of theirs is corn-fed, and they're used to grass-fed being something, an old cow or cheap or nasty, and it hasn't got a great reputation. Well, we started... Hey, I- how how's that be? Like grass is what's on the ground. It well, wasn't corn. Well, like well, the- this is the thing, interesting thing, because there's grass and grass, and even in Australia, and not to, <laughs> not to, um, you know, start state wars. Or that we're having enough of them at the moment. But you know, the protein. What we have here, if we can be parochial for a second, in South Australia and in the southeast. You know, is what we've got this competitive advantage. What God gave us is the amazing pastures full of high protein, higher rainfall, and not too dissimilar to the western districts of Victoria or the Gippsland parts of southwestern. So we're not. You almost don't need a market because it's nat. It is natural. It's not a slogan or a word. So you've got and the farmers over the last twenty or thirty years, the work they've done genetically with the animals. You know, to ensure. The way the animal husbandry, the way the animals are treated, the way the animals are harvested and processed, it's, um, you know, you guarantee this eating quality, but the cleanliness, and it really is no antibiotics, no hormones. Uh, you know, it sounds like a marketer's dream, but it's just actually pretty easy. It is, it's the product. And to sell that, and 
we um, started a program over a decade ago in the US and you're trying to convince, you know, corn fed um, people and it's amazing. We did blind tests with some of the oldest meat cutters in the game, right? And time and time again, they picked Angus Pure and they were horrified to realise it wasn't American corn fed beef. <laughs> but we've seen that around the world um, in Asia, uh, you know, this which have been typically grain-fed or Wagyu and all these different sorts of things, big career. But this real understanding of the younger generation, the health benefits of of lean um, beef and protein. I, I see, I, I don't, it's becoming a bad thing, but I, I've been rocking up bringing my own meat. Like, I, I'm so proud of our meat that if people go to barbecue, nah, I don't want your shit meat from- your- I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you do this? Yeah, or- absolutely. <laughs> And what's more, to, to not to undermine you when you're talking about uh, cooking to, to the point where I'll probably, if I'm someone's house, I'll cook the barbecue <laughs> because I've been there before when and, no um, some of you know, good mate of mine, Simon Brown, I brought up this beautiful cube roll or scotch fillet and away you went out. And these things, they looked like this table, you know, they were singed. It was like Ash Wednesday. Um, so... Whilst you can have the best product or the best lamb, but yeah, you, you can ruin it by cooking. And, and that's one of the things today that I'm, I'm excited about is whether it's the cooking shows, but people, um, and you see now in some of these situations with lockdown, um, the big shift to online, which was already happening, but people cooking at home now. And these are things because there's a generation there where, you know, fast food and, and things sort of really evolve. Well, replace that now with convenience probably more so than yep. than fast food. People yep. are wanting to cook, but they don't have the time to go and spend two or three hours to cook the Sunday roast. But if you can give them that same eating experience but in a more convenient, timely fashion, uh, I think you're, you know, you know, you're on a winner. And that's where I see a lot of the trends moving. So I had a the grass-fed Angus Pure. Uh, I bought a bulk pack eye filler, which I'll say, you had to bring a dish for yourself. And I got there first. So I said, oh, what's everyone bringing? No, no one knows. And then I also grabbed a couple of packets of the Wagyu, uh, I, it was Wagyu eye filler as yeah. well. So eye filler for eye filler, one Wagyu, one at like, I think $70 a kilo yeah. and one at like $40 a kilo. So the grass fed yeah. 40. The Wagyu, I'm pretty sure is not. No, so, no it would, it's it, not, we, we probably would have. Sourced it, sourced it, yep. but it's, so so I went all right. So I, I just opened the pack, let it bloom a little bit. So I'm just giving my secrets out here. <laughs> I kneaded the the grass fed, got the nice cuts, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of salt, a little bit yep. of pepper. Right, not too much, just no. a bit. People started coming. Oh, no, I know. I'll cook. I got it. I got it. So I ended up. We did the grass fed first, like you know, a medium. Um, uh, you know, some people like a dripping. I mean, I, I like a medium or it was, yeah. a, it was a probably a rare medium. Yeah. But we sliced it up in little bits and then went around about 20 people and said, Oh, and everyone's like, Fuck, oh, it's amazing. Like, it was yeah. amazing. Like it was, it was like, I just nailed it. I was so impressed <laughs> myself. Right. And I was like, All right. So then I did, I ended up, we went through the whole bulk. So that yeah. was eight steaks. I said, Oh, you got to wait because I'm going to do the Wagyu next. So I did the Wagyu next. And everyone there, was way more impressed with the grass-fed Angus Pure. And I'm not only saying that because you're, you're yeah. here. You could ask anyone there. And they were way more impressed. And then the thing that blew them away is that you buy that, f- you sell that. Like mm-hmm. that's from a supermarket. And yep. I said, yes, we sell that. It's That's our product. It's it's that good. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it, as I said, it doesn't need much. If you can get it into someone's mouth, right, that's a big, once that you, you've, you've got them because, 
the consistency. And as I said earlier, there's there's a lot that goes behind it. It just doesn't happen. There's a lot of things so that can bring it undone. Do you, but do you want to sh- tell us a bit about? I'm assuming you know how we're getting to that final stage. What what's some of the background for? You know, for for little mere mortals like me to understand, like how's that? How does it get to that stage where you almost can't fuck it up? Well, with uh, cooking apart it. from overcooking it, oh, I mean, it yeah, starts, other than brownie overcooking it. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it starts with the farmers. It really does go right back. Okay, you got the land, and it doesn't have to always be the the lush pastures of the southeast. But it's about keeping these animals on a constant growth phase. It's investment. In the, by the farmers and genetics. Um, it's the vastly improved animal husbandry. You know, the way they, you know, they take very, very quiet. It's not racing around on motorbikes. You throw in the professionalism of the logistics, the transport operators, what they do today and how they manage livestock to how they did even a decade ago is very different. So obviously there's an expectation in the community, um, even stronger than it has been before about animal welfare. So when the animals arrive at the plants, how they're treated, everything in the process. Um, as We've you got move, Mozart playing there or something. Not they? quite like that. I <laughs> think that might be going a bit far. <laughs> but that might be a bit off putting. Uh, Maybe at the new plant, <laughs> possibly. But yeah, you know, there's um, you know, we've we've used the services of um some of the leading animal husbandry type people um. And, uh, and it does mean, and then there's all the technology after that and the stimulation methods and, and, you know, chilling, freezing. Um, you know, we're lucky. Uh, we're probably not as lucky in Australia because we tend to process our meat and eat it within a week or two. Um, a lot of our product is exported. So, um, so cryvac chilled. How much product that you kill stays here in Australia? Yeah. We're traditionally our business has been, um, skewed. 80, 20, sort of 80%. And that's just because Australia is a small country, yep. you know, and that's it. Not that the want for any other reason is we've been a, a net exporter. So, and that's, that's our domestic business is sort of growing as Australia. You've seen a shift and a growth in our consumption. I think for the first time, you've actually started to see, um, the traditional proteins, which have been on a, a decline yeah, for many, many years, just yep. start to yep. go back up again. I mean, we've seen, that. um, you know, chickens obviously been the one that's been ultra competitive and, and, um, but certainly red meat, we're just starting to see that change for the first time in, in many, many decades. So that, that's encouraging. I think that is. And there's so much you can do. I mean, you've talked about I fill it. It's but one cup, you know, the advent of slow cooking, um, you know, some of the briskets oh. and, and smoking and it's a worldwide phenomenon. So that's driven, you know, a keen interest. Uh, some of the cuts people wouldn't talk about. Um, now we're eating. Brisket. Yeah. Like we, we now have a minced brisket. Yeah. We have obviously brisket. We've got our slow cooked range and I believe we're the only supermarket. I'll, I'll go as far to say we're the only supermarket chain with a slow cooked range specifically. I think there's 14 cuts there from brisket to pork, um, pork squares, pork bites. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Who, who would have thought? And with, with your, your product, when you're talking about some of the science, it goes back to the farmer. Yeah. Well, you think it's back to the land. Ab- absolutely. It starts and stops there, really, because, um, it, all that. And even with us, we're just, but the person in the middle, we can undo all that. But the technology we got now, the science and understanding how we go through the processes in our plants, you've got that. What I was going to when, when it's cryvax, so obviously all the air's taken out, you yep. know, you've, you've got up to sort of a hundred and, 80 days shelf life. If it's set in constant, nice, cool, like maybe not in your refrigerator, but you've got three or four months, but you've got what they call wet aging. So 
we've all probably heard of the terminology of dry, dry age. age. Yep. This is wet age where it's sort of still, it's not exposed to any air. And once you um, open that up, it's incredible. So I see it myself when I'm eating our products, whether it's our beef or, or lamb. Um, there is a difference between eating here and it only gets better when you eat it overseas and it's had that, you know, 20 to 40 days on a boat and through logistics and it's um, another, it's only a, a greater experience again. So a little bit of age and, and that's some of the things okay. I think our industry needs to do is educate, not just how to cook it, but just the understanding, hey, because a lot of people buy, even if it's private, will buy it from a supermarket and they just go throw it in the freezer. Yeah. Uh, them understanding, hey, it can sit as long as it just, you know, sits in at some constant temperature. Now, and a fridge will open up and yep, a close, lot, yep. million times a day. So, you know, you'd expect a shorter shelf life, but- um, leaving it there, you know, 30, 40 days. In the um, cryvac pack. It's going to give you a, a greater eating experience again. Well, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I, I like, I, I assume with dry aging, it makes sense. Like, it does. Know. It's the enzymes are breaking. Yeah. It's a natural decomp. It's a safe way. Well, I mean, you go back in the old days, well, they didn't have any refrigeration. No, that salt. Salt. Hessian bag. Hessian bag. Did yeah. you see any stuff like that? You're too, you're no, too young. No, I'm uh, definitely uh, uh. way, <laughs> way too young for that. But, you know, the, the, the whole dry aging thing has become dry, you know, dry aged cabinets for whole quarters of beef or a carcass of lamb. Um, to be honest, dry age is not necessarily mine. Favorite thing, favorite? It's, it's got a different flavor. As do that, you'll see again. Um, you know, Japan. You'll see they've got very uh, interesting sense of taste and smell. They'll come. That's why they like some of the grain-fed and you know barley-fed beef. They can really taste the difference between um, a grass-fed or corn-fed. And uh, personally, I love a corn-fed steak, but just in a bit of moderation. Wag you again, just in moderation. It's too rich for me, but that's yeah. just that's just me. Um, everyone's got their own thing, but still. The grass-fed side of things, again, um, to me, is just, it's just a natural product. It's probably as close as you can get to just an all-natural product. So I don't recommend everyone to do it because we want you to buy meat weekly, but you're saying yeah. buy it. And, you know, for laws and re reasons, obviously, we have to put a best before date Correct. on it. Yep. And that's because we have to. But the, yeah. the reality is now that a lot of the product is, you know, is cryvac Yep. Um, so there's no air in it. It's the, they're the packs that are solid if people don't know what they are. It's a little bit different than the old overwrap. Yeah, it is. Because the, the overwrap product definitely, um, you know, you have to eat within a certain yep. period of time. Yep. But I, I never realised there's a wet ageing. Yeah, and you'll see, um, I guess, the the more modern iteration that has been some of the skin pack um, uh, that we've seen. You've got thermoform, which is like a form of, again. Uh, so a thermoform um bottom and the, the product you put on top and it sucks it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's still flexible. Yep. Um, you've got MAP with modified atmospheric packaging where you've got a sort of solid, generally a solid tray and a bit of a film. So yep. the next step on, I guess, from the old traditional overwrap. And then you've got now skin pack where you might have a, a rigid base and it's sucked down tight. Looks like cryovacking, but uh, it's not quite. And now on that product, instead of get, having seven-day shelf life on a overwrap, um, steak on a on a on a on a plate you can get sort of thirty days, but again with the cryback stuff, people get into a routine. Yeah, they'll still need to buy it, but you can sort of say, right, um, it's probably better for whole muscle cuts. But then there's some you know different things that you can do. It's con again that convenience, right? I know I can have it in there. I can rip it out. So people That's tend to it. people tend to um, 
if you want to get commercial, they'll tend to overbuy it because they'll actually trust. They'll go, I'll buy three or four packs rather than just buying one. Yeah. Um, so I don't think there's any detrimental. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. I think people understand the food safety and the hygiene as we educate people better. They'll see it's um, uh, a safer because yeah. food safety is huge these days. Um, it's 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 numero uno by a long way. I think that's the same for all all businesses when you start to talk about that. You talk, you mentioned a little bit about barbecuing. I was telling my story where I want to be that I want to bring my meat. I'm assuming you're doing that. You actually even want to cook it. So I'm, I'm prepared to let someone take that that punishment. Um, we, we sit there and talk about what the smoking um, barbecuing scene has done through America and as well as TV shows. Australia is really growing at a rapid rapid rate do you see that with where your products are going so yeah is it do they have a big slow cook scene in asia in the saudis yeah. or is it predominantly it, you're US? no look obviously the you know us is, can probably claim the, the home of the smoker i guess if you like but just in general speaking you're seeing a a, a worldwide interest in cooking again um yep no doubt through the shows but there's the different forms that you can do and what you can present for consumers Again, protein's not getting any cheaper apart from probably chicken and some farmed manufactured proteins, which, again, probably carry a different connotation where the consumers are a little bit more wary of them. Uh, Protein's getting more expensive around the world. You've seen some of the developing economies getting richer so they can actually um, afford it. it. So, And it's offering the different um, cuts. One that I like to use is the old... um, Lamb shank used to be yeah. throw the lamb shanks at dogs. Well, I don't know what are they now? Fourteen, fifteen dollars a kilo or something? I don't see too many pal at uh, 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 at that level. But now <laughs> with the um, lamb shank pal, it's just the slow cooking lamb shanks. They're throwing the red wine. It's a whole experience, and and that's what food does. It brings. And if you think about the sixties, and I wasn't around. Definitely, I wasn't around then. But you know, the family Sunday roast, the leg of lamb, and and those sorts of things, bringing families together. And that's what food has amazing. That's what, I mean, I'm passionate about food. Forget what I do. Yeah. I, I love cooking. Talk to Michelle. She's not so okay <laughs> with cooking. Then that's just – That's the same with me. Yeah, you know, I just have that general – you know, you sit there and I'll be taking photos and this or, you know, and again, we're blessed in South Australia. You've got the seafood, the prawns, the crayfish and calamari and a steak. You know, you talk about the surf, surf and turf we can do here in South Australia, but – um. <laughs> I, I just love that sort of thing, yeah, creating that muscle. And yeah. I think it comes down my my grandfather, dad's dad, was always a very, very um, keen cook and even my uncle Andy, but they were the sort of people that could look at something in the, in the I think back then it was like the woman's day or something and uh, they'd just recreate it, you know, <laughs> here comes the glazed ham. It just looks exactly like it's out of a book. <laughs> really? <laughs> Incredible. Was it the guys doing this? And, yeah, yeah, my grandfather and my uncle in particular were – They'll make anything. So we love our fishing and the King George Whiting will make fish tacos and all with salsas. And so it might be the Delineal Thomas line or something. Yeah, I was going to say. As this uh, penchant for, for cooking. But I, I don't know, time out creating things. And you've got wonderful produce here in, in, um, in Australia and in particular South Australia. Yeah, I keep banging on how good our produce is here and how fortunate enough we are. And you're explaining it with the land, cooking. I mean, we obviously love food mm. and uh, I guess in the supermarket game, it's fortunate I like food. Yeah. Uh, you've obviously expanded to more than just what you've got. It's it's a, it's actually the love to – it's not only the food that goes on the table, it's the experience that you have yeah. with well, whoever's with you. Going back to what you said, you know, our um, 
our purpose and we've got, you know, feeding families globally. And that's ultimately what we exist for, you know, this and, and, and all parts of that, um, process right from the primary producers, the farmers. Let's face it, without them, we don't have a business to yep. start off with, right? Yep. So they're incredibly important part of our business and the relationships over many decades that we've got with our suppliers. I mean, going back to Angus Pure, you know, we've probably got to get a few of these regular suppliers to come and meet and, and see where it all ends up because they're really passionate about what they do. And the younger generation, your younger customers are incredibly aware of where their yeah. food's coming, the environmental footprint and, and what's, um, what's happening there. And then it's so are the younger farmers. You now they really want to make sure that, um, what's happening. They're interested. It's just not a matter of growing these animals and then shipping it off. And that's the end of it. So even in my short time, um, that's the big change I've seen. And people really want to understand a lot more about their product. Are you finding that the younger generations coming through? Are they becoming? Does that include us? Are we still yeah, young? Are we still young? I fucking hope we're still young. <laughs> um, are we? Are we? Um, yeah. Are they? Are they sitting there coming through? Are they using? Te- so I was speaking to some viticulturists. Is that right? And they they were talking how they use NanoSat through Fleet, which is Flavia. Yeah. And that technology lets lets them know if they've got a leaking pipe or something like that from the air because there's not enough moisture. Yep. And that's just smart, isn't it? That's, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the agri-tech sector in particular, I mean, we all know of all the, the tech advancements in some of the mainstream business. But again, I, I spoke just recently, South Australia convened a, um, you know, tech conference here. And ag tech, the, the opportunities that's got for Australia and, and the primaries is amazing. You know, your example then, um, geofencing. My, my actually daughter's doing her personal uh, project this year in year 11 on, um, virtual fencing where the animal, there's no fences. So there's no capital cost. These animals, they are, they wear, wear a collar that gives them like a buzz or something. They're, you know, you're going out of your allotted area. <laughs> but, you know, New Zealand's led a lot of the way as well and looking at, um, measuring. So, there's environmental benefits, you know, not overgrazing or overstocking areas. So there's commercial sides, but there's environmental benefits. I mean, uh, you know, some of the stuff is just, it's real. It's not Dick Tracy stuff happening. Yeah. You know, you next know it's, year. it's real. Like, and that's going to help us uh, as a country be more productive. Um, less Australian, waste. Yeah. Less waste. Australian farmers. I mean, let's face it. There's very little subsidies. They might get a little bit of help with tax. And a portion of it, but that's only if you're making money. And, you know, we're competing against other countries that are heavily subsidized. Yep. So, you know, our farmers and they've proven it. They're very over in history, you know, the way they've in, been very, you know, inventive with a lot of the things. But, um, where ag tech's going to go in the next decade, it's go, I think it's going to be one of the hottest investment spaces, um, you know, for, for, for capital coming up. And I got a hunch we're on the front foot. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. I don't like banging on about South Australia all the time, but I do. But we appear to be right on the front foot. You know, we're talking about the Space Centre, which gives us the ability to put rockets, which gives us the ability to have nanotech, which is all happening here in in South Australia. Yeah. So, you know, you could, um, exactly. Well, look, I'm a passionate Australian. You live in South Australia. But um, South Australia's DNA is, is a lot of firsts we're here. Um, whether it's from a social standpoint, but in agriculture, you know, naturally we've been from the stump jump plow to so many different things. I was doing a project for government a decade ago or so. And, um, you know, and when I really researched, there's some really proud things South Australia's done. So not to say that we're, 
I'll give an example. We've got great beaches. So is Sydney, so is Queensland, that but maybe in South it's a proximity to the beaches, right? You can still live in the city and be there <laughs> in ten minutes. <laughs> Sydney and Melbourne might not be like that, right? Bond so day. two and a half hours yeah, from the city. And that's when you're living a block away, right? So <laughs> um it's just the way it is. And so South Australia naturally has had this innovative um, you know, it's a like it's a challenger brand, you know. Um, never bigger, always smarter sort of thing. So I think that's something that a, a, as a state, in particular in our agriculture sector, we've had from the day dot. So it does it does bring it all together, which do you see many uh, generations coming through with with farming? So do you see the you know, the younger crew taking over? Are you seeing that? Well, or? we're starting to see that. So, you know, Dad and I have passionate about farming and we've got a few farms ourselves. And I guess the only reason we're able to buy some of those farms is because the younger generation didn't want to go and some of these things have been in a, in a you know families only one or two gener you know they've only changed hands one or two times yeah. um it's, it's probably the early 1900s but, or something yeah but pleasingly you're starting to see young people come out one of my greatest i guess fears or challenges how does a young chris thomas who loves the land how does he go and get capital go and say i want to be a farmer yeah right it's it's very very hard so this is where i'd like to see in the future whether it's governments leveraging their balance sheets, super funds, yep, super funds will invest for super funds, but yep. what about giving young people a go? So if you're born in the city and you want to be a, um, a farmer, it's going to be near on impossible. So, But as returns have got better for farmers in the last decade, you're starting to see people stay on the land, they're getting better, edu- they're going away for education but coming back home, which, yep. is, which is great. And um, so that's giving me heart because, as I said, without farmers, we don't have a business. So... I've definitely seen a trend in the last, yeah, under ten years of younger people staying on the farm, which is which is great, um, which is really encouraging. And let's face it, farmer wants a wife. Wow, um, you know, good New looking series guys. coming up now. Yeah, good looking guys on farms, and check out the chicks they're bringing to them as well. Yeah, like it was all they got to do was apply. That's like, it. So things are looking up for the farmers, and it's a tough business. There's it is. No, there's no doubt that well, I think you can sometimes you can almost underestimate how much they're actually doing for for our economy and and our own our own selves. You know, we're not importing too much unless it's the cheap shit. Which no. oh, can I say? That? Yeah, I did. Um, unless yeah. it's you know we have it here. You know, Spencer Golf prawns, like, you know, it, all, all our, our product here, you know, Morton Bay bugs, obviously not South Australia, but oh my God. Like, so all of this is here and we need to be very protective of it and very protective of our farmers. And, and we've just had recently, we've had bushfires, but just, just before that was droughts. It's, yeah. you know, farmers cop it the whole they time. They do. They look at any primary production. You're at the, by its very nature of the word, you're at the start. And as I said, I think I qualified to go do spend a bit of time looking around the world. And, you know, our farmers have faced, have very little subsidies and, you know, they've got some significant barriers. Um, when we look at some of the markets in terms of tariffs and now I think, um, governments over, over, you know, successive governments over time, we're starting to get free trade agreements, but they take time. Yeah. Um, you know, they really, but the farmers dealing, we know in Australia, we're the driest continent in, you know, in the world. So, just as one drought breaks, yep. it's the start of another one. Yep. So, but their resilience and, you know, it's the sort of thing we need to get behind them. And I think in this pandemic, if you call it, that we're living in today, people are actually starting to feel a little bit of, um, 
you know, a bit of compassion or sovereignty now, like, hey, we better make sure that we can look after because we're lucky. We've always just turned up. There's been food on our table. A lot of other countries aren't self-sufficient. Yeah. Australia is, and we need to protect that. Without farmers, we won't have that. Yeah, and that's... Look, I've, I've, I actually haven't looked at it. And, and like can I that. tell you, farmers don't want handouts either, right? I don't want, you know, there's a misconception out there at times. Um, you know, a lot of farmers, like in any industry, there's good and bad, let's yep. be honest. <laughs> and those really proficient farmers are planning for that next drought. So that, well, well, uh, the old saying, making hay while the sun shines, yep. you know, they're preparing and that's some of the things, but, um, you know, they do an incredible, incredible job. And it's good to just start to see what we'll see the city. It's just starting to acknowledge that, I think, in a time like now, you know, we're sitting okay. There might be a bit of panic buying, which I'm sure that yep. you're loving. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely not complaining. And no. we're one of the lucky ones. We've got food. Yeah, but that's the thing. We've got food. You know, okay, we might not have it here today, but we'll have it for you tomorrow. Now, there's countries around the world that don't have that. If it's gone today, it's not here for another two weeks. So, um, you know, the farmers have been able to really support our country in a time of need. So we've just had a question come through. I, I put a post on Instagram. Um, any questions for DT? Right, right. Um, how has COVID impacted meat production? Well, um, in Australia, we've been lucky. I think if you have a look at, we've been um, very lucky uh, that we haven't seen mass infections in any sort of manufacturing environment. There was a bit of a problem in Victoria a month or so ago and then just recently. But yeah. I can, if I speak from our US, so we've got a plant in Philadelphia and Swedesboro, New Jersey, just out of Philly, and we're in a hot spot there back in, you know, March. And obviously, with um, supermarket shelves panic, well, we had to work two shifts, seven days a week. Yep. And trying to keep people um, healthy was a real challenge. So just that, um, you know, protection. People were generally scared, like every night. I mean, 8.30 on the dot, my CEO rings from the US and I can recount numerous times. You can hear in his voice, while well, he and the t- our team did an outstanding job, there's people coming from very modest backgrounds that were genuinely yeah. scared. So we did everything we can. and um, But certainly it's a challenge. We have to make sure we've got today here, there's temperature cameras everywhere, uh, whether it's in the office, the plants, there's the appropriate social distancing that you need to slow production. PPE. Now, luckily, we're used to all these sorts of things, being in food and food safety. So this is a natural extension of what we already do yep. because we're dealing with people's food. So yeah. it's incredibly important. So um, I just hope because, you know, any meat company, we've seen it in uh, South American and US um, parts that have been stopped because it's been come anywhere you, where you've got people in close uh, contact. Um, so I certainly wouldn't if a, if a, if a meat business happened to get a um, a small cluster and an outburst, I would, it would be very unfortunate, but it wouldn't be in most instances, they'd be trying to do the right thing. But this, this, um, virus, as we've seen, is changing all the time and, yeah, and trying to keep a track and the asymptomatic part of it. I mean, I arrived, I mean, I went to the US twice when it all started. Hang on, if we tested you. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I get tested daily. Um, almost, but I arrived in the US on the 26th of, or no, 24th of January, just as it was taking off in China in between, um, two flights arriving from Shanghai. And, um, and then later on, on the 8th of March, when I was there, when it was really starting to take off. So it's, yeah, I've seen it firsthand through all our businesses and how it's affected people and, and it shouldn't be, whilst we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, we do need to take it seriously. But if we listen to the medical advice and we do all the appropriate things, I'm sure 
um, we can manage through it. Well, that's what we, we were trying to do that rather than listen to the media. It was listen to the people actually involved. Yeah. So Because originally, if you listen to the media, you would have thought that you catch COVID, you die. Yeah. yeah. And and I think Australia jumped on it and I'll, I'll give Marshall credit, fully jumped on it really quick yep. and – Maybe we're just a lot brighter here in South Australia well, than in Victoria. I was going back to those firsts, but uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, Look, I think the we, thing we, got, we, we stopped, we instantly made, you know, your social distancing and, you know, everyone was very aware, very quick. And, and I, I think that put us in the right position to where we're in currently. Yeah. Might eat my words, but it's what is well, that? It's July twenty twenty, so we'll see how we look. Uh, there's, there's there's lots of roads we don't know where this is going to go. And as you listen, and I think really it was leadership from the top. If you look at what the prime minister and his team and they, you've got to make decisions. They don't have the option. It's all very well for us here to discuss things in hindsight, yep. but they had to make decisions yeah, back in early March, and that's what they did. They took the advice. None of you know, and and it's. Very easy for us to throw stones at the politicians and the leaders, whether it's Daniel Andrews or, or Anastasia or, 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 you know, Stephen Marshall. They have to make decisions and they're trying to make the decisions in the best thing. Now, uh, everyone's been impacted. Our business has been affected, impacted yeah. in a positive and negative way. Our food service business dropped 80% overnight. You know, you think of all of our customers that, that are closed, yeah. you know, and I really yep. feel for them, particularly the people in Victoria. But yep. I think Australia as a whole was showing great. Um, leadership, and that's why it's really important in the current. We've been through this once before. It's really important that we heed our lessons from from the past three or four months to ensure that we. And I'm, I know we will get back on top of it again. So we, the obviously export exporting live animals. I'm assuming. Do you export live? No, or we don't. So we, we what's, don't. What's um, your interpretation? So again. That live well, that industry's come a long way too. So, I, I mean, I have, whether it's live export, processing animals, animal welfare is number one in my eyes regardless. So um, it's really important. Now, some of the things that we've seen in the past that have been highlighted are just atrocious. And I refer back to an incident covered on 60 Minutes. I didn't even watch it. Still to this day, I've never watched it. I couldn't handle and understand working with animals all my life. Now, um, we can say, well, look, that's happened overseas and, you know, we're not, but we are. We, we have a choice to make. So I think, um, live export, um, under certain conditions can coexist. If you look at the northern part of Australia, when you've got like for like climates, yep. very short, um, transit times, I think it can work. But, but looking at, um, you know, sheep that are harder to self regulate their temperature. We've got some moratoriums now, which I think is a step in the right direction. We're not taking animals out of winter into very right. hot um, temperatures, but especially, you know, cattle, British bred cattle, again, unlike the Boss Indicus, which can sweat, regulate their temperature, yep. you've got British bred cattle coming out of cold areas into humid. Humidity is as much of a problem than, than dry heat, you know. Um, to be honest, humidity can certainly... Be a big thing. So I'm probably not a, a, a major fan. I understand it. I, I and everyone has a right to conduct a business, yeah. and and uh, we over the years had been involved in live export. But what you you know now, and I think the industry has made tr- tremendous leaps and bounds um, in self, trying to self regulate. There's not a there's not a live export out there. Believe me, that wants to do the wrong thing. You know, in any industry, in any part of a sector, you're always going to get rogues. But um, by the reputable companies, I think do a very, very good job. And 
and the Northern Territory and Western Australian and Queensland cattle people, um, it's a big part of their market. It's saved a lot of that country. Yeah. You know, what it's yep. generated and the wealth it's generated uh, because uh, certainly, you know, I think there's like my dad could tell you more, there's a dozen meatworks that closed uh, and it gave them another uh, another uh, option and market. And certainly it's a big one for them, but, you know, we cannot and must not um, weigh on animal welfare and it, that's just not live export either. Yeah, and you're very passionate about animal welfare. Yeah, and, absolutely. And and you even I even last time I spoke to you, you could even name all of the <laughs> all of the cattle that you had kind of just about. Um so I guess this is a question everyone wants to know is um are you a vegan? I'm not a vegan, but I tell you what, um I'm <laughs> Not an environmentalist either, <laughs> but I do care and respect from where my food and the land that it comes from. So, and I do get asked this question a bit. So, look, I believe people have got entitled in, in, the, in the modern world to, to their beliefs. I mean, it's been around forever and a day. So, um, if someone wants to be a vegan, someone wants to be a vegetarian, someone wants to be pescatarian, whatever, or that's carnivore. That carnivore. It's it's the, it's it's really a personal choice. Um, it's not for me or anyone, I believe, to be able to impose you must be this, you must be that. And I think whether it's you're a carnivore or a or a vegan, sometimes people do tend to impose those views. It's quite fine, like religions. Everyone's got different religions. Um, I think it's a personal choice and it's not really for anyone to impose their big part of my business. Yeah. Uh, but but my personal values are that you don't go and impose um, those things. I think that's a personal choice. Yeah, I mean, I, I jokingly say, you know, a vegan because they, they tell you. Yeah. Um, but you're right. You should be entitled to do whatever you want. I, I've got really dear friends that are vegetarians or vegans and, you know, you respect those things. And what you can do is have a um, – what I feel I can do is have an informed conversation or about some of the things that they may have heard that may not be true or what. And, and equally, um, I got one particular vegan friend who, you know, who can see, I see balance in that and I understand. Sometimes it's a personal, sometimes it might be a health reason or so. There, yeah. there can be many reasons. So um, like anything, you've got the extremes on, on, yeah, yeah. on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I, I've cut down. Um, have you ever been attacked by a vegan? Uh, no. No, I haven't been attacked by one. But, I, look, I've seen, um, I, as I said, extreme extremes in a number of things and, you know, I've seen um, some easy targets being attacked by minority groups at times, yeah. and uh, I, I just don't like that because I think um, everyone's entitled to opinion. But you know, when you're hitting off easy targets, I don't think that does anyone any good. Yeah, obviously in art, we've seen a, a couple of easy targets. Um, mm. You know, people, animal activists walking into you know other supermarket chains, and you know. It's it, it's maybe a bit confronting for people, and I yeah. don't believe that's the right environment to yep. be doing that. No, and yeah, I just wondered. I, I thought you you might get it a bit. Oh, look, um, we we get lots of questions and lots of different things, and that's fine. And I take the and I take them um, sincerely. Yeah, um, and I respect their views. And and see, the ultimate thing is we can all have our views, but we all have to abide by the law. Okay, really, yep. what yep. your view is yep. or outlook on life is your personal thing, but there's a set of laws. We elect people. We're lucky. We live in a democratic country, and and those people are meant to represent us and, and create laws that we all should abide by, regardless of our views. Yeah, um, and that's the way I've always taken. So when we're seeing some of the um, activism, and don't worry, I've seen people um, on the other side of the fence act 
inappropriately as well. You know, we've seen some horrific things yeah. where people have done the wrong things. But, you know, we, we all, you know, we want to have democratic society, so we should abide by the law. So if we talk about a major trend at the moment, um, it's definitely plant-based foods, plant-based diets. Like, you know, there's a never-ending list of, of how that's moving forward. As in a supermarket, we, we're yep. seeing definitely some trend to plant-based foods. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm a flexitarian. Yeah. So I try to do three vegetarian meals like days. A week. Yep. That's what I've I've been doing that since I had a podcast with James Newbury. Yeah. And I I do feel better. So this is just a my yeah. point of view. So why do you do it? Oh, okay. I just thought, you know, I was eating meat. I would say three times a day, mm. like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, and literally seven days a week. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do you need to do that? It's like, do you need to drink five coffees a day? Like, yeah. so I go through these processes, and I went, no, I don't. So I've gone plant based. Um, for a couple of times, and I make a conscious effort, a decision. Yep. Do you have any businesses that involve uh, yeah. are involved? Around so we, so we've got a couple of ranges. You touched on flexitarian, so yep. we have ranges which are a combination of less meat and veg and and vegetable. Yep. And then we've also got uh, when we look at um, pure plant based um, products. So we've partnered with a, and I think Drake's might be one of the lucky people to see this offering shortly, but with a. <sighs> A company um, based in the Netherlands where one of our businesses is called The Blue Butcher. Okay. It's fantastic. It's all plant-based and hands down, bar none, is the best uh, plant-based products in the world. I've tried them all, like you, and I think we're just getting better at educate. People think as in the meat business, you eat meat three times a day, seven days. You don't. Yeah. I mean, I can go a whole week without eating meat. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I mean, I, I love nothing better than, you know, just getting some vegetable, like steamed vegetables and a few things and just, yeah. you, you do. So I think anything in moderation, but certainly the, the, the trend, if you like, I don't think it's a trend. It's like organic. Um, plant-based products are here to stay. I think they're a great alternative for people. And I, I like the fact I could put my sales hat on. It's great sales. But, but, um, and not all, not all plant-based, um, product I'd say is healthy. Yeah, no. Uh, okay. that, so that's you, uh, the, another the, debate. That's another debate about the amount of numbers yeah. that are in a, when, some of the plant-based, yeah. uh, foods. Yeah. So that's what people need to consider. But yeah, I mean, we, some of the chick, we're working on some really cool R and D on plant based. Um, even in our thing with the cell cult, just meet, you know, I, I always, what's etched in my mind is Kodak, the famous story about Kodak. Oh, no one ever will go digital. They love the romance of film. <laughs> now I go to, uh, um, Rochester, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, in the US oh, twice a year. One of our great customers. I know you know them, you know, yep. Wegmans, great Wegmans, family, great business. business. One, I, as I said, apart from Drake's, the best retailer in the world. Thank you. And, um, you know, Homer Kodak and, you know, they nearly made the fatal mistake. Now, you've got to understand your systems. Now, I don't think any time soon that everyone's just swapping from plant days. It is different. It tastes different. And I said there's good and bad, um, even with some of the um, cell-cultured meats. You know, eventually the prices will come down yeah. to manufacture it. But one of the things I love is the flexitarian approach and I know my wife with the kids in the early days, she'd make spaghetti bolognese, but they'd have no idea that it's got blended up broccoli and carrot and all the different <laughs> vegetables. Now, I know, you know, blending it a bit does probably 
uh, maybe take away some of the nutrients, but the flexitarian approach, oh, I think, is really. Fi- now you're getting really scientific. Yeah. I blending. Mean, hey, it is. Oh, if you cook it, it's still, you know, you know I'm going to make that. If something's cooked once, he won't he won't eat it again because yeah. it breaks it down too much. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. fuck off. But that's what, they'll, that's what they'll say. But um, I'm got a healthy respect. I think um, the plant, it will continue to grow yeah. and it'll continue to get better. Um, but you know, my advice is, you know, read the packet. Some of the labeling we got, you know, might be a pain in the ass for us these days, but certainly consumers can get more information about what they're eating, um, than ever. Yeah. And the blue butcher and, uh, you know, the blue butcher, they ironically have a, um, blue, no meatballs. Yeah. Um, there's no pun intended with blue balls. Um, no. Um, blue, no meatballs. No, no, no that's no, not. No, no, It's <laughs> They are. And why, why I mentioned them is. Um, <laughs> they they Because they got a cool looking. I've they, just, so I've just the, looked at They got a cool looking their range. Owner, their owner does the Paris to Dakar rally. Oh. He's a, it's an amazing um, company. And, you know, I said, I've been to, I go to food fairs all around the world, have yeah. for many years. This is the company. Two things. Their product is great, but they live. They live it as well. You know, they do lots of other proteins and red meat and chicken and different things, but it is by far the best product, the best eating experience. You know, they've put a lot of effort and, you know, it's not green, it's blue. You know, they did a lot of research in it. And if you look at the business, it's, um, it's values, it's culture thing. It's, it's a, it's a great company first and foremost. But, uh, but yeah, so those are some of the things that, um, well, I want you should see very, very shortly want, on shelves. Well, hurry up because I want Simon some Tampke, of the- if you're listening, get onto it. <laughs> yeah, get onto it. What's he doing? Like, God. <laughs> I, I want those nuggets too. They got blue nuggets by the looks of it. They're, they're, their chicken that, wings are better than chicken wings. The, uh, the, the, actually, the nuggets and the nuggets have got to be good. Well, not to, not to be too hard on the um, fast food chains. Uh, yeah. These taste like chicken nuggets. <laughs> they're actually real. <laughs> you know, taste like chicken. So with with plant based um, becoming a trend, um, I for me. It has taken on and is growing dramatically, right? So when we see what we're doing in the supermarket, I think we're a good barometer of what's going on out there. And you yeah. might have some boutique stuff looking after a smaller range, but when it starts to flow to supermarkets, it starts to get more um, notoriety, uh, if that's such a yep. word, but it's starting to become more popular once it gets into a supermarket. And not everything works in a supermarket. So we've seen it from the early days, but now... You know, we've had conflicting that we don't want our plant-based meat in with the meat case. We want it separated and put it with the the plant-based food or the vegetarians or vegan food, which we've started to play around with. And it's clear that the consumer actually likes finding that in that in in, in that area. But we don't know what is right. Is it right to have a product that looks like meat but isn't meat and a plant-based in a meat case? Yeah. Or is it better to just put it on its own? What, what's your, you know, do you, do you have a personal belief of where you think it should go? Because for us, we're not quite sure and we're trying yeah. both, to be honest. We're trying yeah, I think it's, you know, and thinking on my feet here, um, as a consumer, when I get into a retail, I like that I can go, well, you know, you've seen the advent of organic over the time. Yep. Now you get your organic um, dry goods in a certain area, or the, which, which is easy because it's convenient. You can't really go and put organic steaks in the dry goods section. Yep. So there's got to be a bit of a hybrid approach. So, you know, being a, and I, I could get shot down by a lot of 
you know, true believers, it's not meat. And, you know, we understand. I mean, my belief, my belief, it's not meat. Okay. Yeah. It's not. It's not meat. So no, that's it's not one thing I'm probably. pretending to be meat. It's just not meat. No, it's a meat alternative. Yep. Um, and, and for now, until someone comes up with a better description or that wars that battle's had, but probably for mine, I think it's like your organic. You have your beef together and you might have, and you've got an organic, you've got a foot wide organic. I don't have an issue with it. A lot of today, a lot of the, um, plant based stuff is frozen. The next yep, level going true. on is yep. looking at when it becomes a lot more of the fresher product. There is fresh plant based, don't get me wrong, but it, but to, to the moment, a lot of it's frozen. So naturally, it's going to sit in the frozen uh, bunker and it can get lost. It's not fish fingers or something like that. So um, it's an interesting question. I don't personally have an issue with it because, I, and I'll tell you why, I've always got my you know, business hat on. <laughs> Families today are diverse. Where we talk about society being diverse, but in a family, right? My daughter will go at times. She'll go complete. She'll go vegetarian. You know, she's right into her rowing, but she'll go through a, uh, a, a part where she eats clean. So, uh, how how old? No, don't give me an exact date. Un- under fifteen? Uh, under just 20. a bit over. Bit year over. eleven. Yeah. We'll uh, right. Year eleven. Yep. And uh, but she will eat clean, as she says it. You know, but then she prepares to go and eat all the protein in the world when she's in training. But so when the person, when, you know, whether it's the husband, wife, individuals going to shop. Don't think they're just shopping for red meat. There might be a, a vegan, a vegetarian. In the family. Yep. And I'll keep saying the word. One thing, trend and thing I've seen bigger than everything is convenience. Yep. Uh, people time pour on that. Sounds like a cliche, but convenience. So if I'm, if I'm a retailer and I've got some, you just don't know what that consumer's doing. Are they shopping for a vegan and a vegetarian and a carnivore on the same thing? If I can have all those things within an acceptable space, you're going to make sales. So, um, that's my yep. honest view on it. I'm not hung up that it's not meat and meat and it should be. Um, I think that can be complementary products. As you said, you've changed your yeah, eating habits. Totally. So they can be complementary. Um, you know, people talk about meat and wine go together and all that. That's yep. all nice and very nice on that. But, you know, think of it broader <laughs> We're than We're not that. eating meat. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's – so I think um, – yeah, it's sort of staring you there in the face. I think it's a complementary product. It's that it's. Um, I'm certainly not offended that it's. You know, a lot of people call it fake meat. It's not real meat, but well, uh, it's it's some of the pro- some of the um, products want to look like meat, um, yeah. and that's where I can see why people go, oh, it's fake meat. Um, so I can understand that. I think for us as a supermarket, we're a supermarket retailer. We're, it's our job to get it to where most people can see it. Yeah, and want to appreciate it, and I, and I'll I'll look into health food, mm. where in the early days we'd have whole like whole sections of uh, fresh food, um, bloody fresh food. I'm I'm losing my mind here. I have of health food. Yeah, and it was, and then all of a sudden, someone's starting to say, well, cocoa pops, they're actually not good for your kid, mm. and. I don't know about you. I bet you you were growing up on cocoa pops. I love well, cocoa. Yeah, fruit loops. Freaking, yeah, fruit loops. Oh my <laughs> god! Don't get me started. I used to collect the cocoa co- cocoa pop tokens to get t shirts. Mm. Um, and and I look. My mum let me walk around with a you know a one one liter bottle of Hall's lemonade at the age of four. Like mm. my god, I would never give my kids that right. And that's just an education piece, right? So we we would have a whole aisle of health food, and now we're starting to blend the health food into the sections because all of a sudden the consumer now is more educated. Mm. Not saying that our parents weren't, but, you know, the, the, 
you you are learning that. Hang on, having body sixty grams of sugar in a in a breakfast probably not the best thing for a young kid. And um, no different than we see kids today walk in, they're buying a can of Monster before they go to school. Or you know, you Chloe, look- if you're listening to this, <laughs> stop drinking Monster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, you look at that and you think that does change the way that your brain adapts. And I see young kids and I sit there and I think, fuck, don't I sometimes occasionally, hey, boys, your parents know you drink this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I don't think they do. But we've changed and now it's blended with the supermarket. So you're starting to see like some of the brands like Freedom Foods that have a healthier alternative to cereal. Looks the same, probably tastes the same. The kids don't really care. It's a little bit more expensive, Mm. but it's becoming blended in the category. And that... That's what I see with plant-based. I see it as we need to show it off. You as a business, you you say meat, but you're not. Yeah. You, you've got home meal replacements. You've got, you know, cook your, you know, make your own meals. Food businesses. Food, yeah. It's food. Yeah. And, and Absolutely. I, and I look at what you guys do. It's it's adapt as well. And and you, yeah. this is you here that adapts very quickly to things uh, that are going as on. As I said, they're, they're, they're plant-based, it really, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but not in the format as it is today. And it's an opportunity because there's this whole customer base we couldn't sell to before. Yeah. You know, that weren't even interested in our um, business. And it can't be because we're generally interested. We, we respect and understand that people um, have, you, you know, you talk about food, yeah, it was the Fruit Loops, but it's very different today. What I eat for breakfast is different to what it was <laughs> back then. And there wasn't a selection. Um, yeah, so correct. I think, um, and I said, you, you really do got to encourage consumers to read what the, what they are having uh, because it does sometimes those healthy looking things aren't so healthy either. Yeah, and that's why people say oh, gluten free. Uh, it's fine. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's fifty grams of sugar in one hit or salt. You, Is yeah. it, salt's uh, the big and hidden the sodium. one. Sodium. It's yeah. the hidden one. Yeah. I I I look at things that we put into the supermarket, and I look at businesses that adapt. So. We, we deal business here with Slafe and Sons. Yeah. Uh, they do our sausages yeah. predominantly. Well, not all of our sausages, yeah. but a big chunk of our business is them. They've then recently gone to plant-based. And it's it's interesting to see how they've adapted quite quickly. I think theirs is called Plant Nation. I think that yeah. brand is. But South Australian company, you know, making Great changes. company. Great yeah. company. So uh, I, I've seen what they've done to adapt and, you know, I'm, a, I'm assuming you go back five years, they would have not been thinking they're going to sell a plant-based sausage or no. a plant-based patty ever. And all of a sudden they have a, they have a, oh, we've got a ghost coming in. <laughs> we got a ghost coming yeah, into, yeah. what's the ghost? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, mine. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Gemma. Thanks, Gemma. The kind of ghost we like. Thanks, The kind of ghost we like. There's no one there. Uh, yeah, there's no one there. Wow. Yeah. Look, I gotta show this off because that's nice. Uh, oh, we haven't had this. Is it good? Yeah, I know. I know who makes it. Okay, even better. Where's my top? It's just right there. Yeah, I can't. Oh my god! I only had a little bit. So look at this. I can't, I don't know if you can see this, Oliver. This thing's. All right, this is called the cork pops, and you. I'm. I'm just gonna go freestyle. There's a. There's a lid on this. Like it feels soft, but this thing here, you you put it over the top. Push it down. This is amazing. I haven't seen this. I've seen a few. All right. And then you, you press this cork and pull it up, right? And that it, is incredible. It pops it straight off. And then, what's this? Then you just do that and it just pulls it off. Oh. oh. Fantastic. You like this. I, 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 
<laughs> I, I like wine. <laughs> looking at it's Look at amazing. That. So then it just pops it off. It's, it's unbelievable. I'm impressed. It's such a. It just pulled it straight through. So what it does, it it goes straight through the cork and blows a gas in there, which pops the pops lid. Pops it out. It's amazing. Do you have to regas it? Yeah, you do. Okay. But you know, I got. It's probably got a hundred. <laughs> Last no. the afternoon. <laughs> Uh, huh? Yeah, but it's it's yeah, cool. I, I, don't, I, have, I haven't seen. I've seen a lot of openers and yeah. different things. Yeah. But I haven't well, seen one like that. Cork pops. So cork pops. If you want to sponsor the show, we'll um give one to every guest. Not that they even. I don't think cork pops for any guest. Wow. Huh? Digital team. Yeah, the digital yeah, team might mine too. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna. I reckon I'm gonna get, to get some because exactly. that's a cool present. Um, plant based. Next golf. Okay. Next golf day. Okay. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. court pops. Oh, you'll get us some. <laughs> I was going to go along and buy one, but <laughs> you could just wait. Uh, okay, so that's that. Let's. Um, so we've banged on about plant based. I mean, yeah. I've I've got a I've got a bit of um, a theory that if Netflix makes a documentary, it seems to make things in the faces of the majority of people. And mm. one of the amazing business models Netflix has is they don't tell you how many people are watching their content. Yeah. So how the hell that that works in this day and age, there's only guesses by the amount of people that vote on Rotten Tomato and whatnot. So yeah. amazing business model, let's face it. Don't need to tell you how many people are watching it. We control it. We can just they, – they give hints of what's, what's a good performing show. They're right? able to – you know, choose which country, the, who they're going to release, down to the individual subscriber. Yeah, down to and I'm half addicted to stuff on Netflix. So, so it, with that, with um, with the, the game changes, which was about uh, vegetarians. Yeah, and how you, you know you didn't. I, I can't. I've, I'm reckon I'm half intellectual. <laughs> uh, Forty, I'm forty something years old, and and I was like, fuck, you don't need meat to get all your protein. I just did it. Absolutely. I, I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Oh, I knew that. Like, I didn't. Yeah. But well, you can see why people are, are going to for a bit of plant base. I'll, I'll, I'll even dumb it out. Like, I'm a taxi driver, right? <laughs> Do you reckon I'm never going to catch an Uber? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, uh, there are things in a, a balanced diet, and we've got more information than ever available as a consumer uh, on what we should do. And I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm in the meat business, but as we're saying, it's more the food business is is what we're doing. And, um, you know, the plant-based thing, if, again, coming back from a commercial standpoint, some of the figures I've seen and the growth in that compared to um, flexitarian, but that's the real area I think you're going to see the yeah. biggest long-term sustainable growth is in that flexitarian and that can even be broken out from, like you, I think the approach that you've just taken is a great one. I don't need to eat meat ever, even if you're a carnivore, but yeah. I think it's healthy um, to eat a balanced diet. And and that message, to be honest, has been around for a long, long time. Well, I mean, let's, let's if we really go back, look, look at the, remember the old pyramid? Yeah, yeah, well, that's what I'm, in uh, my mind uh, I was uh, referring to. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, can someone look me up the, the old school pyramid? So you had the old pyramid um, back in the day of what we had to eat most of. Yeah. 
um, what we had to eat the most of. And I, I look at it now and it's actually, it's literally been turned upside down, the pyramid. So for what we were saying was the base for when we were going to school and whatnot, it's been turned around so it's the opposite. So it's interesting how with time changes, uh, you know, the, the, hum- the, the one thing about the human body, it adapts amazingly. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that blows me away is how, and in and in that that doco, the one thing that really blew my mind away is they they had the guys eating meat, the football players, and then they pulled the blood from them, and then they did vegetarian for two days, and then pulled the blood, and like two days, which is a very yeah. short period of time, yeah, two days difference, you could see the blood looked totally different yeah. from when they had it. There, there's um, and you're touching on a, an, another part. We can talk about food, 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 but the old adage, you can't out-train a, a bad diet, okay? Yep. So, right, we can have this, but there's that exercise. Uh, it doesn't have to be running marathons. In fact, so you, know, you look at some marathons, are marathoners are unhealthy. I did my one and one and only in that. That's it. But... <laughs> You know, you do need that little bit of um, exercise. It can be as simple as a walk, it, you know, and you'll see those similar benefits. They've shown a lot of studies where where people um, just introducing exercise, how they sleep, all those the patterns. But um, And I'm no expert in this area, but, you know, inflammation within the body. So having that couple of day break, you know, yeah. um, I mean, I remember growing up with Brussels sprouts, mum boiling them and thinking, oh, my God, I can't stand them, <laughs> right? And, and now you're char-grilling no, them. No, they no, no. <laughs> we love them. My kids love them. Brussels sprouts can't get it. I mean, we're the Brussels sprout capital in Adelaide Hills. You know, we can't get enough of them. So uh, it's 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 all those things. And I think what's actually happening is everyone's having their Kodak moment. They're actually opening their eyes, being a little bit more. But you're always going to have extremes in, in any field, whether it's food, exercise, you know, left and right. But but that balanced diet, I think, is important. And that has been there. And you talk about the food pyramid and and a good friend of mine, James Posiadley, um, you know, ex footballer, but very passionate about children's nutrition. And that and that's where it starts. If we can educate uh, I mean, we grew up as cocoa pops and fruit yeah. Now, nothing you know against that was the time or your Hall's lemonade. Yeah. So um we've got the opportunity with all this learnings now, it's important to start early in school. Yep. The STEM approach is important with yep. all the all the educational side, but you know, educating kids today on on eating is uh, and eating well is important. So I'm looking at a nineteen nineties, nineteen eighties pyramid. Oh, there you all, go. Yeah. All yeah. the whole bottom of Protein. Whole bottom of the pyramid is meat, 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 meat. So the the interesting one is that a little bit of fruit, nuts at the very top, and vegetables in the middle. Now this is I like did, a modern yeah. day. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Uh, co- uh, and, and you can just, you can you show that on the, the when you do the video because the healthy eating pyramid now. It's, it's literally turned upside down. And you just wonder. Like, I, I'd, I'd challenge people, maybe <laughs> maybe any of your listeners can come back with, should it be a ball? Should it be a square? Should it be a pyramid? You know, I like, how, how should it be? I like Should this. it be an octagon, a hexagon? Maybe, JP, we can, you know, tap in and we'll teach we'll the CSRO. Our own. We'll do our own. You know, we'll we'll get together and uh, work out the modern day. Um, We've been talking food. about blue balls, so why don't we try <laughs> the balls? Uh, Could be, yeah. Because when you look at it, that is only in a period of thirty 
that's a 40-year change. So yeah. that's 1980s yep. to, to right now. And it's literally turned yep. upside down. So I'm look, I'm fanatical about food, like you said, and I guess what we do. Yeah. Um, plant-based we've talked about, um, you know, other than work, which I'm assuming you do, – do you see it as work? Uh, no. See, this is the one – I've said this for a long time. Um, apart from that honest, you know, part about – I'm very much a family person and, and friends, you know, like that's – don't have a lot of them. I think I've got some friends, but <laughs> yeah, you, know, no, you, you, do, you, you do you do you do miss um, that side of it. But I don't see. I get up most days. Can't wait to get in yeah. to the day. I, I, I really do. Um, and I, I'm very fortunate. And a lot of we talked about the farmers before, but and I, I'm sure you'd understand this that the only reason we are where we are today, my father and myself and some of us, is because of our people that work with us, our staff. You know, we have amazing staff. One of the greatest things in my business is I've got this cultural diversity. I've got friends all around the world. I grew up um, where I remember I never saw, I never had a, and I'll just pick a national, an Asian student in my class till year seven. Yep. I grew up in a, in, a, in a thing where we didn't see a lot of ethnic diversity. We had Italians and Greeks and that was about it. One of the great things about my job I've got businesses around where I've got friendships, all these different ethnic backgrounds, and and it's and it's just amazing. So I wake up and I'm very grateful for all their efforts, and and none more so than as I said before, you can't imagine some of the conversations I've been having with people over the last three and four months in countries that are decimated by this virus, and people who are genuinely yeah. scared. They know someone who maybe's passed away and yep. whatever. So um, I do. I don't see it as work. I, I really don't, and that's the greatest gift. And maybe it's what, what Dad did back in the day when he ran away from school and he had this dream. It wasn't work. It wasn't a, a pathway to a job. It was a passion, and and it just happened to turn out into a livelihood rather than a job. And you spend so much time with your work staff. I mean, you don't all get on, yep. But you spend an order amount, and you know, it, majority it, of your life, you do. And it's and it's hard not, you know. You're okay, there's rules. You can't cross boundaries and that, but. You just, it's been great. I've seen employees, children grow up. I've, I've, one of the great things is seeing some of um, our employees, children come and work in our business. You know, a lot of people, oh, I don't mix work and, and family. I, I haven't got, I don't have an issue. It's even better when I see um, children from staff coming in and working. It might just be for work experience. It might just be a thing. I mean, we're a very early adopter back at Murray Bridge of some of the original four, five, seven Chinese workers coming in. You know, that was a very politicised um, moment. And a lot of people didn't see the benefit today. Some of those children, right, this is how long ago are born and now at university. So they were born in Murray Bridge yeah. and today are in That's university so or schooling. Getting up now, they're not coming back and working the meatworks. Maybe there are some. There are some that came over as young children that have worked with a second-generation migrants. No different to the 60s. So yeah. um, that's some of the things why I don't see it as work. Yeah. I, I just, each day, I'm not saying it's smooth sailing, throwing a fire. <laughs> but, uh, um, I mean, I've seen yeah, I mean, We I've can't seen, wait for Murray Bridge to be back up and running. Like, yeah. I mean, you, well, that's consuming my life at the moment. That is exciting. That is exciting. Uh, and, you know, to have, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe in the Southern Hemisphere, one of the best facilities uh, would that, am well, you I, can say am that I going anywhere. too much? So anyway, in the, the world. The, this process, I've been living and breathing this and we've got a great team, but the last six weeks as we narrow down into the 
there's 36 different individual sort of packages um, as we're choosing uh, who's going to be the ultimate uh, builder and so on. We've we've gone around the world. So each time we're talking to someone, you know, in Ireland the other day, there's no project like this going on anywhere. Not not because of COVID. No, just because. Just anywhere. Now, I know why that is. There's no money in Meatworks. (laughs) (laughs) You'd you'd be mad to spend. (laughs) But no, and seriously, there is. And it's something, you know, we're not there to stand on our pedestal. It's an amazing opportunity. And I think I recall 24 hours after the event, once everyone was safe, was that we made a commitment very early. And I know speaking to um, yourself and your dad, who were great supporters and Drake's when we were in our. hardest time that we've ever encountered the way you stood behind because I know plenty of my competitors wanted the Angus Pure program <laughs> but it's incumbent upon us because the the, the community of Murray Bridge and the wider community yep. is another reason why we're here that yep. was our flagship that was our first plant um, so it's incumbent but it's exciting really exciting for Murray Bridge is a, and the Murraylands region is oh. a great um, area and you've got double lane highway well, I mean, not your driving, my driving, 50 minutes, right, from a, a major capital city. Yeah, and and you're 45 minutes from Victor Harbour or the beaches. Yep. yep. You're bloody 15 minutes away from Longhorn and like yeah. wine, wine District. Yep. You're 50 minutes away from Adelaide City. Yeah, yeah. It's a crazy so, plan. And... You're 15 minutes away from them, one of the best racetracks on the planet. It is. Bar none. And, you know, bar none. <laughs> and I'm a bit passionate as the patron of uh, the Murray Bridge race course and well done to them for sticking it out. And, and it is. It's, you're, you talk to a, a trainer like, um, you know, some, we've got some of the great Tony McAvoy or, or David Hayes or any of the local David Jolly, Richard Jolly, any of the Leon McDonald. Okay, you know, these guys are I, got a, I got a feeling you like horse racing. Uh, everyone's got to have their vice or their little bit of little bit of time to the side. But. And, and you, we've talked about it's great beef to eat because we've got the perfect dynamics here. Is this a coincidence that Melbourne Cup winners have come from South Australia? Well, um, you know, I'm passionate. So the hills, right? It's all in the soil. You look at a, an operation like Lindsay Park. In the heart of the Barossa Valley, produces some of the world's best wines, and has produced some of the best thoroughbreds in the last fifty years. You see it in New Zealand. Um, it, there's something in the soil. The Adelaide Hills. As I was saying just before, yep. you know, the Adelaide Hills is as a cool climate wine region is just going through the roof. Oh, Pinot, like the Lecco Pinot. A- absolutely, it's um the boys. You think, product. or you think about that, and you know, probably to my dismay and. <laughs> A lot of the old um, horse studs and where some of the best yearlings and best racehorses in Australasian history have been born and bred and sold, uh, are now wineries, Shaw and Smith. You yeah. look at like Bart Cummings, they were the hills um, of where many a champion was either born, bred, sold. Um, that you know, must be hard for you to say. It's either the... the the producing of uh, purebred race uh, horses <laughs> or the wine, like we, well, so. How do you sit there? A good mate those? of mine, Sammy Hayes, and I. We've uh, we've managed to make them both work together. <laughs> I, I can tell you that. But uh, but look, you see in Victoria, you know uh, Jerry Ryan Mitchelton Winery. Um, you know, there's no better wine than South Australian wine. But he, yeah, down in the southern parts of Victoria, 
there's great wines. Um, the Hunter Valley, which yeah. is the breeding mecca, yeah. dare I say it now, it took over the mantle from, from um, you know, South Australia as it became internationalised, have their wines, their semions. So, yeah, it, it's uncanny without overthinking it. It's one of those It's one of those own goals or free kicks like I talked about what South Australia has with our seafood or, you know, the, some of the pastures that we have. It's just one of those things that seems to have gone hand in hand. So it's safe to say... It could be in the grass. It must be in the soil where you see those big gum trees. and It's not just a coincidence that what's happening But I'll there. tell you one thing, though. I don't think you're going to see them pulling out vineyards and putting horse studs in their place. I think it's probably more likely the other yeah, way around. The other unfortunately. way around. Unfortunately. Yeah, I think we are we are extremely fortunate. I think you, you, I guess you travel, you have a small station, um, Mount Shank. Yes. You've got a little station out there. Um, with a lot of sheep, a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle, a lot of Angus um, fewer. Do you get to go out? Do you get yeah. go out there at all? Do have your absolutely. kids been out there? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Everyone's been there. So that's one of the things. Um, it must you, be. You feel like um, it's really special for Dad and I, yeah. as I said, and our family because that's only been in the Clark, the founding owners, um, and then so another so, family. So settlers, literally. yeah, basically yeah. settlers, um, and then you you had the Evans family. Uh, whoever, and then ourselves. So that's something. And I, as, as a kid, you know, we've got a couple of nice farms down in the southeast. Even uh, Bill McDonald, you know, had been born on there 80 years. Um, Glen Ross, another property, 70 years the people have been on there. You, it, it is that true custodian sort of feeling. It's just because uh, I went to these farms as a kid. I regularly ring that. I went out to Bill McDonald's or I went down to see Tim Clark and bought cattle off. Oh, the most amazing. One day, imagine if we could uh, have a farm like this. And Dad being dad, he put his heart and soul everything. There's not a, you know, he loves his fishing. A modest boat, a bit bigger than a tinny, if you like. <laughs> I mean, everything that we ever made, and Bob and Simon, um, you know, not to forget, and went back into uh, business. the business. Yep. And that's what you have to do. Cool. So being time, and I guess our rural division's growing a little bit with the feedlot, and, but Mount Shank is something special. Um, you know, you and we do make the effort. i I got to make them. This is a bit... You were saying earlier about family and making that, and that's what I've got to do. I mean, you have to make it like an appointment. You know, I'm, I'm going to go once a week down there. Yeah, it's not a chore. You're there once a week. I would like to be there oh, once a week. Jesus. <laughs> no, but, but with oh it, honestly. God, I was like, oh, wow, really? No, but until but, you know, we've made a big effort to go down there, and unfortunately I'm always in a time where we race around. But but every now and then with Dad and I will drive down there. You say it's a four-and-a-half-hour drive and yeah. you stay stay down there, cook a steak, and it's we take many of our cusses. It's a real – it's a place to showcase um, Australia, yeah. South Australia. and Sounds, the, sounds special. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, – and you can – we get to be what we really okay. We run businesses, and you can be in all sorts of situations, but you actually get back to be at the the um, core of what you really are and what you what you love. Yeah, I, I my happy place is Murray Bridge. We've yeah. got a shack on the river there. Out, yeah, and you know, so many good times have have been had there in my my life, and I, I can see my kids doing that now. Albeit we don't get up there as enough, but we still. Yep. You know, we're up there quite often. Every time you're there, it's like, fuck, I love this place. You do. You get that. And then I get the balance also. Um, you know, I love surfing. I've surfed since I was a kid. So getting down, you know, again, this accessibility in South Australia, down to Port Edit, you know, you're 50 minutes. 
and you're down there. And, and now, one of my, I was actually asked a couple of years ago, oh, what's your greatest achievement? What's the best moment? And this particular reporter was looking for the, oh, you know, when we bought this, did that or whatever. <laughs> I said, actually, we're up at having a family holiday. And for the first time, my three kids, all three of them, Ned, uh, going from youngest, Ned, Chloe, and Jack, all got out the back surfing. So there was the four of us sitting Which is out a challenge there. in itself. It is. To it get is. Out and I thought, how cool is this? You're sitting here with your three children. Michelle's not much of a surfer, but you know, she, <laughs> well, she was out there. But it was, that's an achievement. And that, that's the thing. So, you know, you talk about your happy places, being on the farms, being in the water are the things that, you know, that I love and cherish amongst, you know, pretty busy life. Oh, it's an understatement how busy um, your life is. Crows. What, Next what subject. Fucking hell. What the fuck is happening? I, I don't know if it's COVID. Like I was a fanatical supporter, and then I was I was realizing it was ruining my weekends. Mm. Like I, I, and I quit. So I quit. Watch. I, I quit actually barracking, and just now I watch. I like punting on the multi bets, like just r- totally random. Yeah. And having a bit of fun, and then I just I've, I've realized I haven't watched a quarter of football this year. I, I and but I'm a Crows fan, so thank God I haven't watched a Crows game, but. I yeah. I just haven't, and I'm like, what? what why? Why is it? So is it- footy was a big part of my life. Yeah. Um, well, and I'll get to the crows in a second. Well, because- hang on. You used to play football. Yeah, but I, but I, I've got a probably slightly more boring subject. <laughs> it actually really was growing up football. Um, you know, crow store. Johnny yep. Reed never played. But he was my coach at South Island in the early days, and the guys like Phil Calm and, and but a lot of the way I've. I've run my business and seen in business. It's learnings out of football. I'll give, I'll give you a, uh, an example. Is you, everyone thinks in a football environment you're all best mates. The fact is you probably only like two or three of them really. There's probably half a dozen of them you really don't even like. You might not even like your coach, right? So that's temp, you know, taught me to be a bit adaptable in, in work whilst, um, whilst we're, uh, uh, yeah, there are people you got, you got to manage, but yep. football creating an environment and a commitment and respect. So you might not necessarily be your best friend, but you've got to respect you're in an environment that, you know, it's incumbent upon you. You've got to be tolerant. You, you work into a plan, a commitment. That I had, a, a, I guess, a team upbringing from a very, very early age. With the Crows, what I'd say to the supporters is put yourself in their shoes. They're now more than ever, not the players. The players are pretty well looked after. The club needs the supporters more than ever now. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're a pain. You're entitled, just a bit like we're talking about vegans, vegetarians, yeah. carnivores. You're entitled to your opinion. But in my my way, and I've been, I mean, uh, I, I went played all my junior footy and footy at South and I went to Sturt. I was a Sturt barrack all my life. My so. Th- my first year, so, okay. we never won a game. I'm thinking to myself, I've just gone from hardly losing a game to never winning a game. What have I done? It was anything but that. I felt I was actually at the start of the rebuilding. A guy like Phil Carmen, right? He 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 knocked the college boy out of stir. You know, he was up there at the age of forty-two when we're doing the f- bit different training. We'd be doing four K time trials, not not bloody two K time trials. We had to do it the hard way, double and run as hard, but. But he knocked the thing out and as part of development. So where the club is at the moment is a great opportunity. This has got to be changed. Yeah. Right. Let's not get into all the detail. They, 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 I hope there's, there's better people qualified than me, but now. Are you on the board? No. 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 No, She's talking like, you are talking. No, look, I'm, you are very passionate. I I used to barrack for Carlton and then when West Coast came in. So I'm really a West Coast supporter. If, if truth be known, 
but I do. I'm I like to see both Adelaide teams, but the Crows do intrigue me in terms of where they're at. And, you know, they've got a great opportunity um, to rebuild here. But, you know, they need to – I think they need to recognise there needs to be, you know, a bit more change. Yep. And um, But what we can do is just the, the couch sitters is, is, is try and support them. Yeah. We've all had our opinions now. Like, what, what really, what more are we going to, they, we're going to get it. Let's vent. Okay. It's no good. I mean, they're five and they're 0 and five, right? You can yell and scream all you like. And you know, I guess as a member or so you're entitled to that. But I think, um, I think that the, the opportunity there is, is, is re- it is a good club and, and the players, um, don't get me wrong. They, they're aware of what they need to do. They are very well drilled. And, you know, I look at other clubs. I mean, there's some in clubs without mentioning in, uh, in Victoria that have been languishing for, for over a decade. I mean, this is the first real challenge the Crows have had for a while. Let's let's give them a bit of time and, and see where we are in three years' time. So talking about football, there's a possibility there's no grand final um, at the MCT. Yeah, well. <laughs> I got a, a, like a Victoria, come on. So so there is a possibility that there's going to be no grand final in Victoria. That's, I think that could be a fair assumption. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, they could... You know, Adelaide would probably let them have a full stadium. But when you look at it, what's happened with the COVID and watching football with no crowd and as a football player, I'm assuming that crowds creates another. Th- Absolutely. Yeah. I, and yeah, I, I haven't, <clears throat> I, I drive a car and you can see people in the crowd and you can actually see people watching. And it's like, it's a bit of a buzz when we go to tracks and there's more people. As a football player, I'm assuming that happens high. For a egotistical football player, and I'm not saying they all are, no, but they there is definitely there are some, but yeah. there's there's a lot that aren't. So would that mean mean to them? Would that you know what? How, how do you sort of aspire to be that? If the, is it going to change the way things are done, do, or, not? You know, or is it just my imagination? It, no, no, this is a year that there 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 is no right or wrong, and and we should be very careful in passing judgment on anything. So it is their job. Let's take the football, the glitz yep. and glamour out. Career. It's their job. Yep. And I, and I know a few of them. And listening to them, they've got young children. They might have expecting baby. All these different things, and they're asked to make decisions that can impact their family. So I think to myself, what would I do? Okay, in my vocation or my business, what would I do? I mean, it's just you know we're a bit unfair. We expect them to get out there and play footy. I mean, they, of course they want to get out there and play football. But they've also got considerations and we're dealing with our, you know, without the, you know, dramatising a pandemic and, okay, it's good for society to see our national game being played and, and all these things. Um, but it's also good for society to be able to go down and have a beer at the pub. Or, without a doubt. Or a meal at your local cafe yeah. or, or a coffee or a latte, whatever whatever you like. So I think at the moment it's, it's, it's tough on these players. Yes, I know they want to play. But I reckon you'd get a really wide response about people. I was listening to, you know, um, Jack Rewalt and some of the decisions. And, you know, look, what's happened in Victoria? I certainly, you know, I don't subscribe to, um, it's very unfortunate. It's not, it's not a blame game. Could have been anyway. But these to be people honest. are all of a sudden, the, these players and a lot of them are younger people. I said, you got to get it, pack everything. You're out of here. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm probably sitting in the camp of, was it, 
Um, and it's easy for me to say because it's not my employment, but there's plenty of people that aren't working at the moment. Think of thousands of people in the airline industry and, oh, and whatnot, which I know, I know most of them because I travel that much. <laughs> well, you're talking tens of that. We're, we're talking Yeah, tens exactly. So, you know, if we had a pause for footy for a year, or rugby or basketball, would it be detrimental? I mean, there have been some, some, uh, leagues that are, that have had to, uh, you know, I don't know, like it's, it, it's difficult. It's getting to the stage now. If this thing evolves a little bit more, is it, so again, you is it important that whether the grand finals at MCG, South Australia, WA, is it important to have a grand final? Is, is, is football that important that we've got to put people under the pressure because we like to watch or, ridicule or, or barrack or whatever. To yeah. the, I mean, you've got to remember these players, um, I think it's become very real for them now. When What happened in early in March, no one really knew what we were dealing with. Yeah. It was easy. Oh, we want to get back and play as soon as possible. But I, I, I think it is because I think that's their job. Absolutely. So right. are they I'm, any different? So that was my point. Are they any different to front line, front line worker? No. Yeah. No, th- no, they're not. And oh, they are. They're they're earning a lot more money than a frontline worker. Oh, that's that's a very interesting point. <laughs> and 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 if they were earning fifty grand, sixty grand a year, no problem. But yeah, I look, I look at it. Uh, F one, they just started. They had their first race last week, and you know they're they're doing the mask thing. Like so, I, I'm finding it extremely frustrating. So they're doing an interview like this, but there's no one within. To five meters of them. Yeah, oh, I just hit that camera. So. <laughs> there's no one within five meters of them, and it's a different sport. Like, but you know, people forget. Yeah, there's the driver, but there's probably a hundred people that are involved yeah. in getting that driver to do the fastest possible lap. And you look at it and you think, okay, the team sports. It's a bit different because that's very close contact, lots of sweating, lots yeah. of heavy breathing. Yeah, it's interesting it's I, because I, it is. It's been our game forever, but it's it's all sport. And again, I think it's one of these things that we're, it's not about. We we should you know we've got to be very careful in whether F one football, yeah, frontline workers. There is no roadmap for this. There is no um, perfect way. And I think we just got to be very careful and understanding what might be right for some there, there's some people that you know you think of the the some of these frontline workers that are in there i mean there's people flocking to help and then there's some people that feel really uncomfortable about it so well, we've seen that in our own business yeah i mean i i think it's so have we you know in our office people in the early days we held a daily covid meeting you know reassuring people now my point is is it that important we have a grand final or we provide um some work for people or <laughs> Or uh, entertainment, I think that's uh, the biggest. But whether we get to the GF or not, uh, I think see. it's important. I mean, like anything, you've got to have a goal. Yeah, but in, in business, in business, it's not. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, in business, we don't have goals that your whole career determines on every year. True, absolutely. A- and I think as athletes, they do. Yeah. Um, yeah, whether grand finals, there's finals, Olympics, or a, exactly like world championship, yep. like they do. So it's a you know it's a different program. Moving on because um, yeah, I, I can't I, I can't believe I'm watchful. I just I I actually can't believe it. And you're it's, not you're, it's not, not, you're not alone on but that. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what for what reason. I'm not sure. I get insights around the world. Um, you've seen a lot of what we do here in Australia. Yeah. What is one thing 
that is happening anywhere in the world. Could be Japan, could be Saudi. I mean, you, you export to 85 countries around the world. That must cover a lot of them. Most of um, them. <laughs> uh, do you do anything mm. to Antarctica? No. no. But, well, I guess I've got to talk <laughs> no. to food service guys. We might do some dehydrated. <laughs> dehydrated. Uh, so, so is there anything that someone is doing? Um, and you deal with Wagmans, so there might be something there. But is there anything that's some, something's happening around the world in any other country that's not happening here in South Australia? Um, or the, Australia, sorry. Yeah, it's multifaceted. Um, I think. Uh, and this is sort of very close to us. I think in our space, um, New Zealand has led the way in a lot of the food processing technology. I'm talking 20 years yep. ago. Their government made a, like they did a bit with film and a few, they made a concerted effort to say, hey, and a lot of our manufacturing equipment, yes, it's, it's done in Europe and all that, but the quality stuff is, is, is done out of New Zealand. So I think in that space, um, Oh, no luxury car tax in no, New Zealand I, as well. I'm not really a car person. I like oh. horsepower. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you look at the way um, various countries are adapting um, to, you know, Korea years ago uh, was, I won't say e-commerce, but delivery. So Korea many, many years ago started with what I think is probably the Uber Eats, you know, the yep. the – the home delivery or the um, things that they started that technology. So you look at so platforms. All it is that that's the thing. So that's what I'd like to Australia being our biggest challenge. And no, you know, one of your competitors that never came, they can't work out what you can work out, right? They they ran away, Cowfland, yep. because of the logistical challenge. Australia's a challenge. So we need to, we're that challenger brand. We're never bigger, but got to be smarter. Right. Yep. So one of the things I'd like to say, and I'm, you know, again, I don't like to, if, if I'm not prepared to put my hand up there and get there and do it or help, I'm resident to, to necessarily cast negativity. But, you know, the NBN, you know, by the time we finish it's, it, it's redundant it's, it's sort done. of thing. So I'd like to see the platform. I'm not just saying put your hand up, it's 5G, but let's put um, an effort into how we can best um bridge that gap of we've got of a lot of people in one part of the country, a very big country through through some sort of platform, whether it's the WeChat. technology, well, who knows uh, what it is. I mean, uh, you can do anything on uh, WeChat uh, in China. Anything. Pay, yeah, I, I, I use it the whole time. You have to. I'm assuming you have to. Yeah, yeah everything. We, we transact car, um, business deals, WeChat. You know, it's, it's amazing. So maybe that's some of the things. We've still got that big challenge of, you know, how do I get my Angus Pure to Queensland? Yeah, <laughs> you know, same country, so, same country, yeah. so close. I, I'm, I'm getting told to wrap this up, but I don't want to. But we know you got to be somewhere. Uh, they can wait. They can. Wait. I won't be long. No, that's, that's fine. Good. That's good because I've, I've got, I've got, um, I've got a couple of questions I ask yeah, everyone, no and that's th these are the the last ones. But this one I don't ask everyone. What do you think has been the worst business decision that you've made? And why are you thinking about that? I've got to think it because there's been a few. <laughs> if something comes to mind as the best, and it might not be you, it might be you and your team because yeah. I, I, I get most decisions aren't coming from your head. They're yeah. coming from a group. So okay. is there something that comes to mind? Uh, look, the worst one is, and it's, it is um, sometimes just, Delving or jumping into things you really don't understand. Okay, now you don't the, strike me as being impulsive. No, well, the, I, every time I've been impulsive, or probably my number one is a, this word called assume. 
every time I've assumed something in business, it comes back to bite me. Right. And that's not mean you've got to microanalyze or anything, but assuming is very, very dangerous. If you're going to assume, you must have world's best practice behind you because it will come back and uh, bite you. So I don't, I don't assume, um, you know, I make sure I do a level of listening, research, understanding. Assuming is a very dangerous thing. Well, you haven't given me an example, but I'll let you go on. Well, this okay. but, but my, but well, my, um, my, one of my early bosses, Wayne Mitchell, he goes assume and he writes assume down A, um, A U double S, A double S U M E, right? And he, and he breaks it up and he, he goes, it makes an ass out of you and me. Well, there you go. Uh, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm no, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim that because, no shit, because it was, uh, it was actually right because I, I said, oh, I just assumed I knew it. Do it. And, and he, he wrote it down, us, you, and me. And I was like, fuck, he's so right. Yeah. And that, that, this, this was, this was 25 years ago. Yeah. So I still remember. I, I could give you multiple examples where I've assumed things. It might be, um, oh, well, it'll be right. I'll assume I'll, I'll get back to that farmer in a couple of days. I'm, you know, I'm way too busy to return yeah. the call. Yeah. Meanwhile, stock's gone. Miss the opportunity, you know, and that, that's some of the things. I mean, we've made, well, I've made plenty of things, assuming I understand how someone else is feeling, assuming that they are very clear in the direction I've given them. You know, it's just taking that time. And we, we did a great thing leading teams a few years ago and coming out of a football environment where you're used to some very direct feedback. We went through a whole process in our business, not only here, but throughout the world about, you know, having some honest conversations. And Daniel Healy from Leading Teams came in. It was fantastic for me. It wasn't as overbearing because I was used to that, but the the feedback I got was pretty confronting and some of it, you know. But to actually honestly hear what people think and, and again, you assume, oh, yeah, on board, I've said this is what we're going, but their interpretation of what, what you think may be very, very different. So you've got to take the blinkers off and take a step back or, Think about, you know, technology back 20, 25 years ago, you didn't have text, right? Correct. Text, email, these things. I mean, all right, you might have ADD like me, JP, but, um, <laughs> you know, the thing is that someone might not actually, just because they got a phone, they're not going to email you back in five seconds just because you've asked a question on email. So there, there's yeah. there's lots of things. My wife. To <laughs> <laughs> <they> answer phones? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not just me. They sorry, do Michelle. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Nat. <laughs> Um, okay, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? And that could be absolutely anything. I said I'd be an F1 driver. Yeah, well, I'd still be trying to make the pro surfing tour, but probably, to be honest, that would have been pretty easy that I wouldn't have made it. Um, train racehorses. Yeah. Love it. You love it? I love it. I, I love because you've, they can't talk. There's an element, and I've watched, I've been fortunate to watch some amazing trainers over the years about that interpretation and what makes the great trainers from the good is that interpretation of an animal or it's a bit off or that or how they They they're all individuals yeah they see things so i mean if you looked at me here i couldn't be a jockey so that was pretty an easy (laughs) an easy one but yeah i'd love that challenge of um closely followed by um yeah, maybe I was a closet like theatre. I mean, when I was at school, it was never cool to be in the school play. I would have actually wish, <laughs> wish I had gone out on a limb and been part of something See, like that. In in our school play, I was a snowman. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even, 
I didn't even bother going for <laughs> My mum's got photos of me dressed up in this snowman outfit. Yeah. And I didn't say a thing. It's like, you know what? I was no all off. Um, so, yeah, and just for record, I hope you do learn that because your tips are shit. Wow. Um, That's so, someone else's. Uh, <laughs> someone else's. <laughs> no good. I don't have time to do the form. Uh, so, looking into the horse's nose, nostrils and whatnot. Uh, there's just, a talent for you it. You see their it? action. Yeah, their eye. You do. You, you see it in their eye. You'll yeah. see it. The action eye. There's all these things. Yeah. Um, so, if you could go... Um, so you're a certain age now. You're not 50. I'll say that much. Well, so, well away from that. Yeah, well away. Um, if you could go back 25 years and have a conversation with DT, what piece of advice could you give DT, um, you know, when you're like 20 years old or just starting up in your career? What, what piece of advice do you think you know now that you got? You go, fuck, I wish I'd told myself that then. Number one is, um, I'll probably try and overdo it now, but just listen more. You know, just listen. Listen, hear, hear the message. I mean, I, you know, you talk about your for, first boss. My f- dad was very, you know, get out there and very independent. My first boss, Bob Rowe, they don't come any tougher. But sometimes I got caught up in the delivery more than the message. And, um, it's something I look back on. So just, just, just to, to listen and, um, and, Again, coming out of a football environment, you were sort of used to pretty direct feedback. Yeah. I mean, a coach, you have a guy like Phil Carmen as your coach, you know where you stand. <laughs> don't get me it's wrong, no right? So, and, and that leaves an impression on you as it's same Johnny Reed, like Johnny was a passionate, but he was, you know, you knew where you stood. So those things actually leave, whether it's good or bad, I don't know. They leave an impression on you. So you become a little bit, but just to listen more. Um, yeah. if you're talking purely work, yeah. listen. Um, yeah. And there's the old well, age you can't put a uh, an old head on a young shoulders. Yeah, it's but, true, huh? But but just listen. You know, there's things I could have definitely listened better, whether it be any different or took that advice. Yep, I don't know. But, but listen, yeah. Um, if there was one thing that you could do that would have an impact on the world, what would that be? Like one thing, and you know, you're doing a lot of things out there. You're in 85 different countries across the globe. Yeah, you're very heavy here in well, in Australia. I think I, I truly believe we do it with we're we're feeding people. I'm involved in a lot of charitable work when it comes back to just helping people. So when I'm lying in bed at night and you, you sometimes get lost, you've got so much going on yeah. and you come back and <laughs> sure thinks I'm a very strange person at the best of times. <laughs> but what what's your really purpose? When you've achieved a lot of things and you, you, you know, how long it's, it's just helping. It's incumbent for whatever reason in my life. I, we employ a lot of people. We feed a lot of people. I take great satisfaction and pride that we're helping people in that. And, and that's what drives me. So it's not a single thing. I can't go and change climate change. I can't go and stop a virus, yeah. but I, I had the ability and the position that I've been afforded today and, and over the years to help people. And, and that can be, as I said, sitting down and listening, you know, when you have a large workforce, you have people that go through many, many different challenges in their life. You have sicknesses, illnesses. You have people in your family have terminal illness. A bit like the horse trainer. I can see in my staff that sometimes things are not right. Yeah. And it might not be them. It might be at yeah. home they got an issue. So one of the great things I do is just can, I believe I can, it's, it's not like in this, the charitable sense, but you can actually help people and give and, back. And it's, and give back. That, that's it. Because as I said earlier, the reason, I'm here or we're here is because of all the wonderful work that helped us, particularly in the early days. Yeah. 
There's a show on SBS, Filthy Rich and Homeless. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite homeless. No. <laughs> um, but it, it puts people into examples that really opens your eyes about yeah. um, how tough it is for people who are homeless. And I've watched that show thinking, fuck, this is brutal. And it makes you stop and think about when you're walking past someone asking you for something. And it's like I look at that show and it really, it really hits home because – you know, we it's, work hard and we're fortunate, yeah. very fortunate, extremely fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have someone come up and ask you for something, yeah. you know, this show sort of breaks down the psychology of like someone actually having to ask you for a dollar. It's like So brutal. if we put politics aside, you know, there's a lot of people who have an opinion on America at the moment, right? Now, I've lived a better part, nearly half my life there, yeah. seriously, like yeah, back and forth. I have friends <laughs> and things. So everyone thinks um, Americans and Australians, because there's the alliance and that, we're, we're all the same. We're not. We speak English. That's where it starts stops i can tell you about um factory workers that work with us that they'll sit around their philanthropy right that they have or, or it's ingrained in in the ordinary american so they'll be talk. they'll have a family meeting about giving 50 dollars us to a charity they'll sit down and that's their thing you know in australia as you said in australia we haven't quite got there yet there we do some great things and helping but it's ingrained in so yeah. for for some of the shortcomings people might Disperse on what 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 American people are like. There is a lot of good there as well, and and that's one of the things in Australia. I think we we can do more. As we are, you know, to, to coin a phrase, the lucky country. We can do more than what we're doing today. Yeah. Last question. This gets you to whatever boring meeting you're going to have next. It won't be as exciting as won't be long. It, it won't won't be as, uh, <laughs> won't be as exciting as now. But this one stumps a few people. So I'll give you I'll give you some time to think about it. If you died, heaven forbid we don't want that, and came back as a board game, what board game would you come back with? I'll, while you have time to think, I'll tell you, do you want to hear what mine yeah, is? Yeah, it might give me a bit of a uh, So give you a bit of time. So we've had a whole lot. We've had Hungry Hippo. We've <laughs> had a game called Risk. Uh, I think we've had Trivial Pursuit. My, mine was like Scrabble. So, and the reason for being that is that like, you know, I deliver some cool things that, that and words that actually make a lot of sense and get a lot of points and I also deliver some words that maybe don't and you don't quite know what you're going to get next by each and every one of yeah. Scrabble. So that's mine and we've had we've had everything. I mean, you might not play board games. You might find this extremely hard. No, I, you know, it's funny when you said that I immediately, for someone who wanted to be in theatre, um, I froze and it came to me straight away. Uh, mine's Snakes and Ladders. <laughs> Right, and not from a bad connotation. It's not like snakes and ladders isn't bad because my life has been full of ups and downs. Um, And you know, uh, whether it's through mum and dad and getting through life and him working hard and they worked hard and we got an education, my sister and I, it was all about us. So you could say we got the jump right. We're we're ahead and ladder after ladder, and we're like seriously, there's only two lines to go before the top, and then. Um, I lost my sister, you know, in a car accident. And that was like the ladder, the longest ladder on the board. And, and sometimes if it was that ladder, we still haven't got to the bottom of yeah. it. Well, that's your snake. Yeah. And uh, sorry. Yeah. The snake. Sorry. And, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, and then there's been some good times and you're constantly reminded of that. And so all the successes and great things that we had, you, you, you have challenges in life. And I guess one of the things I've tried to do is learn from those things and, you know, going back to your early question about listening, just try and learn from mistakes. But that's been my board game. It's been snakes and ladders, ups and downs. But 
getting to the finish. Now, I hope the finish isn't death because <laughs> if that's the case, I've still a long way to go yet. Well, that's but not that, that finish that's on snakes it, and ladders, is no, it? No, that's, that's not death, is it? No, well, it's, it's just what came to me yeah. and that's what life's been like for, for us. There has been along the way. As, as, as good as it might look to some, there's lots of challenges along the way. And it's how you regain yourself, your composure and look for the next ladder, whether it's the crows, whether it's work, whether it's your personal family life. Yeah. Um, that's probably the best thing that's, that is because just when you think everything's perfect, there'll be something you'll hit one of those snakes. Ah, that's awesome, man. And like, thanks very much for your time today. I right. believe this is probably the longest podcast we've had, and I know you can definitely. It's been fantastic. We've only we've only like touched on a few things. Um, I really do appreciate you making the time. I might add, you've been the hardest person to wrangle <laughs> to get to get here because of how busy you are. But thank God uh, it's well, COVID. If I ever get another invite, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll be here. It's been fantastic, and uh, we've yeah. really enjoyed it. Um, thanks to everything you do for putting food on tables of. I'd hate, uh, you know, have you had, a, actually, have you thought of how many meals you put on a table? As is I there, said, have you got a number in that? In that I, it wouldn't have a number, millions. but as I said, it's, it's just, it's just an honor. Like it's a, it's a privilege. That's it. It's a, but there could, like thousands, I could tell you if I, be if I rang Jack, he could tell you how yeah. many <laughs> <laughs> meals have gone out. But it is, I mean, you and you process a lot of animals. It's, um, it's a lot of meals. Yeah. It's a lot of meals, but it's a, you know, we take food for granted. There's plenty of places in the world that, that don't have that. Yeah. Um, so. I'm extremely lucky to be here and here in Australia. So thank you very yep. much for coming thank on you. for podcast number 13. Thank you. Excellent.